Welcome to I Like to Movie Movie, the podcast about movie movies. My name is Garrett Smith. My name is Dan Scully. And this week, we talk in French fries. We are talking French fries. Uh, you know, though, before we get started, thank you to everyone who came out to Movie Movie Live, David Lynch edition. Oh, Double yeah. thank you to the young ladies who showed up in costume uh, without even being, uh, you know, primed to do so. That's right. That was very wonderful. It was a wonderful turnout. I hope you guys enjoyed the show. Uh, we have switched formats. We're going to a bi-monthly format to Indeed. give you a better show. And uh, December 16th, uh, the third Wednesday of December, That's we are correct. going to be tying it into the new Star Wars movie, Star Wars edition movie, movie live. Guests are to be announced very soon. Yes. Um, so stay tuned. Follow us on Facebook and you will get updates. Uh, looking forward to that one. Facebook.com be very, very cool. I like two movie. Yeah. Uh, we had a lady. We had a girl show up as the log lady mm -hmm. and we had a girl show up as special agent Dale Cooper. Drinking her, her booze out of a coffee cup too. Yes. Yeah, her costume beautiful. was complete with booze out of coffee cup. It was great. Uh, but this week we are talking about we're going to try and uh, round out October with uh, one, one last horror movie here and we're actually going to talk about two because uh, there's something fascinating about horror movies that Dan and I talk about a lot, but we have a guest here uh, who brought uh, this these movies uh, uh, with him uh, by request, uh, Mr. Dave Teruso. Hello, welcome to the show, sir. <laughs> I didn't even realize I was doing like a Halloween themed. He told me to pick any movie of oh, all time, it worked and out I just happened yeah. to pick. Fright Night, because I wanted to talk about the kind of the difference between the two movies. That is so fantastic. I love that. Yeah, no, we were, uh, I think we had sort of maybe planned to do The Fly, uh, and in similar vein, uh, a lot of that was because we wanted to talk about uh, horror movies get remade quite often, and... Uh, I think horror movies are more ripe for remaking, yes. because horror movies almost universally exist as a concept, Yes, and then the movie gets built around it. You know, like, nobody's interested in... You know, we hope that we get good characters, but we're into the fly because we want to see a man turn into a fly, right. and you know that that kind of a thing. But when you get a concept that is done one way, and technology advances, or just more talented people get attached to it, you can rework that concept. Well, and you can take what starts as we want to watch a man turn into a fly, and add things like really interesting characters that actually make it a much more fascinating story. You know, uh, which is why the fly is so great, uh, and why I think it's a great choice that you brought Fright Night. Have you seen the Vincent Price fly? I don't even know if I've seen it. I have I seen have. clips of it. I have not. I seen I mean, it the yet. Cronenberg fly is yes. one of the great horror movies I think yes. ever. Yes. I think it's probably my favorite remake of all time. Mm -hmm. It's it's sort of and his I'm, all I'm along the watchtower. The thing, but I, yeah. I do I love the fly. Yeah, it's uh, the fly is is fantastic. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm looking for in a remake is all along the watchtower, like Jimi Hendrix doing mm -hmm. the song. But it's there's nothing about it's the same song, but there's nothing about it that's alike, and it is alive in a new way. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, which I, I very much think was true of this this uh, Fright Night remake. Wait, before we launch into this, I did want to say uh, Dave is an author. I wanted to give you a chance to uh, to plug what uh, what you have out there before uh, we even get off the ground. I have two books out. Uh, one is called Cube Sleuth, mm -hmm. and the other one is called Lost Touch. They are both uh, dark comedy murder mysteries. Uh, they're both available on Amazon. Uh, just look me up, uh, Dave Teruso, T-E-R-R-U-S-O, and uh, hopefully my next book's will be coming out in a couple of years. I'm working yeah, you're on a currently superhero. Currently work on a superhero one, right? Yeah, yeah I'm just yeah. about to finish the first draft of the text and then we're going to start shopping it around. Uh and my publisher of the 
first two books is going under, uh, they, oh, they, no. which is not surprising to me because they <laughs> so poorly promoted my book. I mean, I sold 700 <laughs> copies alone. They sold 50. Oh, uh, God. And so I will... Were you talking Lost Touch at this point? Well, I don't even know what Lost Touch sold. Cube Sleuth, I got the the um, the figure, and that's what it was. So we wow. didn't make back them. There was no advance, but we didn't make back the money they used to... To, to even produce the book, it cost, yeah, you know, a couple book, grand. Yeah. Well, I'll throw uh, this out there. I've read Cube Sleuth, and I enjoyed it immensely. Thank um, you. I found it insanely readable, and I read it over the course of three bus trips to and from work. I like that because I could not put it down. And um, I mean, it was certainly helped into the fact that I just imagined the lead character as you. It- um, and and I'm, I'm sure that that goes for any author's main character in, in some type of way. But uh, that that entertained me because I know you, and I was like, I could see Dave doing this. It's harder for my second book because it is a female character, mm-hmm. but there's still a lot of me in it. But it's weird, and, and uh, there, there's a certain reason I won't spoil that you I can't really have that character in Cube Sleuth kind of recur in other stories. But the guy that I'm doing in this superhero book, uh, Chris Club, he is very much me. He's sort of like Bobby Pinker, the character from Cube mm-hmm. Sleuth, uh, yes. like a few years down the line with some specific changes to him. So it's allowing me to kind of like revisit that because they're they're me i mean it's it's yeah. like woody allen in a woody allen movie uh-huh. like he's just a he's Every such a Stephen particular is lens. An author from maine yeah he's, yeah. A, he's a particular lens that he can't really get around mm-hmm. often you know mm-hmm. he did like match point and stuff but right. woody allen for the most part he knows i think that his his glasses his prescription is so thick <laughs> so to speak that it's like hard for him to not see through those glasses and most of his and best films are are from that perspective yeah, because and it is the unique glasses, i mean i'm practically blind right exactly <laughs> so yeah i that that has been fun and this book is 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 cool it's the one that i'm working on now i'm like i'm obsessed with it it's like a good oh, i'm excited a good oh. thing i'm i'm hoping to kind of like break in with it and then hopefully yeah. someday we'll be talking about the movie oh i would love Ooh. that it's it, very i mean it's it's half you, novel writing half, it with an eye to that it's half novel half graphic novel i yeah. think all three of my books could be uh movies because I've read i write f- very cinematic i've read the first like 50 pages of cubes very similarly on a car trip to uh, uh north carolina uh, and it was i just like breezed through them and it was because it was so alive on the page it was uh yeah it, it, it you, I could, I felt even the office setting, which is uh, you know a very innocuous setting. Like I knew, I knew it I, very quickly. I knew exactly where we were right. and uh, how to navigate the uh, you know the geography of it. It was uh, yeah. It's uh, I, I always wrote. I think as somebody who loved movies more than books, even mm-hmm. though I am a novelist, mm-hmm. like I grew up with nobody read in my house really, and I just watched movies constantly, and that is my language. Mm-hmm. So that translates to the book, but. I wrote six novels and then I started writing like, you know, practice novels kind of as a kid. I wrote my first one when I was 11. <laughs> um, it's it's hilarious. Someday I'm going to sell it. Like if I ever am a name in the world, yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. going to sell my first book and give all the money to charity. I, and I, to I guarantee it. you like you'll throw up laughing. It is because yeah. rid- <laughs> I was big into Jean-Claude Van Damme. Oh, Jesus. And the I'm main character is, is 13. I was 11 and 12 when yeah. I wrote it. And by the end of the book, Don he's Claude killed about Jandam. four dozen people. Oh, you like, got it. Because it, it was just yeah. that, that's what I, and I, I literally would write a scene and put him in a, in a, like a scenario I didn't know how to get him out of and then just sit there and try to figure out how to yeah, get him yeah, out of yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, the answer is always kill as many yeah, people. Yeah, he killed a lot door. of people. The, the climax between two items. <laughs> the climax involves him like sliding, people sliding on like metal plates across like a burning... I forget. It was ridiculous. <laughs> but so I wrote six books and then I got my job, the job that Cube Sleuth is set at. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, working a 40 hour week and writing a novel is hard. I do it yeah. now, but it was hard. So I decided, oh, I'm going to do screenplays. They're so much shorter mm-hmm. and I can I can do that. So I wrote five screenplays. And I did all this research and 
read all this stuff. And I took screenwriting in, in college and stuff. But then Cube Sleuth was the first book I wrote after doing all those screenplays. And it really informed what I did. And, like, mm-hmm. the story so much, you know, leaner and, you know. Uh, the scene's got to play. Yeah, because yeah. I, I had that sort of. You you learn that there's a different way to enter and exit a scene in a novel than there is in a movie, but you can interchange both. And once I learned how to do that, you know what I mean? Like, because the, the, the trap of a novel is that you could describe everything. Mm-hmm. You don't have it's not it doesn't have to be 90 minutes. Well, we talk about forever. a lot on the show. Uh, I mean, just a, a general concept in film is is always to show. Don't tell. Yeah. Right. And the problem with a novel is you are limited to 100 percent tell. Because um, you're just using your words, but mm-hmm. if you can work that into a way where you are showing, right? And I think using a cinematic language does drive that point home. And you do, I mean, you it's do not show. Just description. I mean, you can because there's a way to say like in a novel, it's you know you can actually say like I'm really nervous about this. Yes. Mm-hmm. Whereas in a movie, you wouldn't do that. But that's bad. That is telling. It's mm-hmm. better to just say I keep fidgeting with my keys. I Absolutely. Keep, I keep picking them up. Yep. Yep. And playing with them, then people get it. But there is like you know. You end up with if you show everything like I, there's a balance between summary in a novel and uh, actually uh, dramatizing things like I read The Dead Zone, which is where I got the idea for my second book. It's the opposite of The Dead Zone. It's mm-hmm. a, a psychic <laughs> getting in an accident, and losing their power forever. But King is great at dramatizing things, but he literally dramatizes everything. Mm-hmm. And like if I wrote the same book, it would be about the th- a third of the length. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, because I will summarize, I summarize anything that's not important. Mm-hmm. Like I will, I will, if you, if I'm, if, if you're if, like Garrett's telling me something that the reader already knows, I will literally just say, Garrett told me about the brick behind the house. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's that one sentence instead of going through that dialogue again, because nobody needs to hear it. Have you mm-hmm. read On Writing? The Stephen King I did. book. I, did. I, I actually just finished that recently, and I love. He's my favorite writer, uh, hands down. And one of the things that he talked about was when he goes through his draft and just has to eliminate all of that. Right. It's, it, it, it's like shooting a kid. You know, you're just like, I, I want you there, but I know I don't need you, and I have to kill you. Mm-hmm. You kill your darlings, quote yeah, unquote. Your darlings, which and is an important thing. That, that is that is brutal, but it it works in movies too. Uh, when you watch deleted scenes and you're like, I love that scene. Oh, yeah. It works so well unto itself, but it's got to hit the cutting room but, floor. Yes. It's going to slow everything down. Yes. Oh, that's heartbreaking. Well, I'm doing this. This Alter Ego is the book that I'm writing. It's a two book series. And uh, both because they're, the books are novel in, in two columns justified like a newspaper on the top half of the page and graphic novel with no speech bubbles on the bottom half of the page. Oh. Mm-hmm. Working with this comic book artist named Nick Stefano who lives in L.A. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm writing the book itself and then I'm writing all the panel descriptions, mm-hmm. which the book is about 40,000 words and I've already written like 30,000 words in panel descriptions because <laughs> I want him to know exactly what I'm feeling so that he, he's a very good emotional artist. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I describe things like in way too much detail like this is like a dude who is sitting you know waiting to get his test back to see if he has aids like when that has nothing to do with the scene just so he knows the facial expression yeah 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 but um because that i'm limiting each book to 150 pages exactly Mm -hmm. and it's eight chapters of of mystery and then eight chapters of action Mm -hmm. so and i i somehow i nailed it like the eighth chapter ends on page 75 it's literally (laughs) half of the book you get a feel for for how words line up after a while yes you know how much space they take i made a word you you know i i've wrote everything except my lost touch i wrote longhand first mm-hmm. and i i did lots i was like let me try and do it on the computer and i loved it it was so much faster it saved so much fucking time um <laughs> am i allowed to curse on the podcast yeah absolutely uh, 
But so this one, I made like a special Word document that was exactly the parameters and it's yeah. split oh, in half. Because one of the big things is for me, I hate if there's something with pictures, it can't break in the middle of a sentence because mm-hmm. then you got to read half the sentence, look mm-hmm. at the pictures, turn the page and go, oh, wait, I got to go back and read mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. So every page ends on a paragraph, if not a scene. Oh, That's man. So, very yeah. convenient. And it has, it has constricted me to yes. a, a crazy place where I'm like, I think I can get this entire thing done in one column of a page. Mm-hmm. Whereas before I'd be like, I could do whatever I want. It could oh, be yeah. 18 Absolutely. pages. And now I'm like literally like like I'm on page one. 30 right now i have yeah. 21 pages left to tell this story and i have like a lot of stuff to do but it's and i used to be like this would be killing me yeah but i love it like mm. the, the things that i'm ripping out that i don't need like this is 150 <laughs> pages where every page is like something is happening Absolutely. I think, you know it's well cool. i think what's interesting is that to relate it to film it, it almost feels like you're operating off of like a literary storyboard in a way right. and almost literally right. when you have these pictures now you know they're coming later but I know, especially in, in films that are animated, there's no room to say, let's see what happens. Yeah. It's we need to fill, we're doing this mm-hmm. many shots. We have to get it in. And that, you know, what information can we cram in and how can we do it right. without overloading or underloading right. the consumer? Right. And I think people are afraid, like, oh, you won't be able to explore enough. There's not enough organic discovery. I do all that stuff, but I either cut it out or I do it in my head. Mm-hmm. I do a lot of writing in my head. I will write an entire scene in my head and then go, oh, that really doesn't work. Let me go back and start over. I like to do it there because once you put it down on the page, it is hard to cut you it You start out. to get married mm-hmm. to it. I, I wait until I go like, oh, okay, that makes perfect sense. And then I start mm-hmm. typing and it's like, it's more fun that mm-hmm. way. Absolutely. And I'm trying to, the new thing that I'm trying to do is I wrote, you know, like I've written 14 of the 16 chapters and a lot of it was I would write the chapter and then I would look at the page and be like, okay, well, this is what happens on the page. Let me describe it in panels. And then like almost three quarters of the way through writing it, I realized I should try to put mostly things in the panels that you don't see on the mm, page mm-hmm. so that you the, together they make the story. Uh, yes. That's I mean, that's smart. That keeps it from being redundant. Right. Instead of saying like, he threw a rock you know, and you see you... him throwing a rock. Right. Yeah, exactly. So like, and it was always going to be like, you couldn't understand the book without the pictures anyway. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. uh, I don't describe the characters or the room or mm-hmm. anything because I don't mm-hmm. need to. Mm-hmm. I don't tell you what the chair looks like because you're going to see the picture of mm-hmm. it. I wrote it to my illustrator, but I didn't <laughs> yeah. tell you. Yeah. So you, love you, to have you, like, you were going to need the big the... white chair, but then have him draw like a tiny wooden <laughs> yeah, wicker like, chair. I should have told him. Okay. But like, I didn't describe those things to you so you needed the pictures and there's all kinds of visual clues but then i realized like i want to show you little things that you don't see Mm -hmm. like there's a scene where a guy has to get into an office that he doesn't have a key to and i don't say anything but i show you him picking the lock so that you realize like oh how did he get in the office oh i see it now you know together they kind of interlace to tell you a story it's kind of a new thing well, Dan and I talk on the format. show a lot about uh, how limitations tend to bring about some of the best work. I think so. Uh, I think Jaws would have not been a good movie if they didn't 100%. have those Oh, if that shark worked, yeah. Yeah, 100%. We talk about that all the time, that one of the reasons practical effects tend to be work better for us is, is not necessarily because, like... They look better than digital effects, but the the breadth of what you can do with digital effects sometimes makes for like less creativity in the storytelling. You know, uh, the the limitations of the practical effects mean you have to, you know, there's an economy to the storytelling that has to occur. I'm uh, all for that, yeah. and I, I do that to myself as a writer, and I like when they do that. Like I think lack of budget is cool, or just yeah, like you think about like the scene in uh, American Werewolf in London where the 
the wolf is walking through the street, and you can mm-hmm. only see the front end of it because the back is all puppets and, yeah. and uh, yeah. puppeteers and like wires and stuff. It. So but good. it makes for this iconic shot where you can just see the front of it, and it, yeah, you absolutely. know now it would just be this wide everything shot, mm-hmm. which is like not important. There's something about yeah. like it's sort of like well, just a, it would be like a woman just coming out naked instead of like stripping absolutely. slowly. Yeah. Well, we always yeah. talk about burlesque. how it's like you can make it look like you flipped a truck. Great, whoopty shit. But if right. you flip a truck. And point a camera at it. It looks you can awesome. Tell, you can yeah. see you it. might not get this crazy dynamic shot out of it, but you flip that fucking truck. Yeah, that is cool. And right. that's visceral. You know? That's like right. you, you feel can that. feel that. Yeah. Right. And now you can see them using it like for stupid stuff. Like I was just watching The Departed, and like everybody who gets shot in the head, it's a, it's a, it's computer graphic. Yeah, yeah. I love yeah. squibs. Like, just so use squibs. Like, blood splatter. What's, and they look great. It that takes, actually, it takes you out of it just that little bit. I know. Listen, hey, this is a great point to jump in on on the Fright Night remake. We'll, yes. we'll, t- we'll talk original and, yes. and and the remake, but it's a great point because that was one of the things that did frustrate me in the remake was all the digital blood. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, there there was a there was quite a bit of real blood. It was actually kind of a nice mixture, but the I think that also is a result of 3D. it was filmed for yeah. 3D. Yeah, and you know, instead of throwing blood at your 3D camera and then having to clean your camera, yeah. it's much easier to just realize it and post and right. make it look a certain way. I imagine the 3D does soften the, the uh, you know, just the separation that that yeah. puts up from the, you know, the being engulfed in the movie. But it is still a thing that always gets me. Yeah. Always gets me. That was just a nice entryway to uh, to transition into the movie. Well, I really. something ask- flat about... CGI blood. It, yeah. It's got a flatness to it uh-huh. that you can tell. It's just it's it's not viscous the way it yeah. look. It looks viscous, right? They're they're yes. trying so hard for me to go viscous. like, oh, that looks viscous. It looks but like it, somebody put a picture of blood in yeah. the movie. Like yeah, a real picture. well, it's all based on an equation. Someone figured out the equation that looks the most the way that liquid acts. Yep. But uh, you know, to to uh. To borrow from some Ian Malcolm chaos theory, if I throw a uh, a glass of water at the wall, I can't predict can't how predict it's going to splatter, right and that is, you know, there, there's no perfection in nature yeah. in, in that sense. So, but there has to be if you're creating this yeah. this splatter. Yeah, you know, yeah there's there's a department at Disney good. just for bubbles popping. <laughs> That's a fact that there's really? a there's an animator whose job is to make splashes and bubbles popping because yeah. they know and That's fascinating. so it goes. I like that stuff. Well, and that's uh, you know that that is in the world of digital effects. Like uh, the weirdest thing is just like you'll hear things like "oh," and you got to see the way they like make the ocean look in this movie because mm-hmm. it's like that is actually one of the most impressive things you could do right. is like real looking fire or real right. looking water right. because there's so much chaos in those right. things and nothing so ever much randomness will ever ever trump stuntman fully on fire. Hey, that is something that that. Absolutely, just crushes me every time. I, I feel time. like we got one in the in the Fright Night remake. I don't. Th- I think there were a few shots there where we're, we might there have seen some stuntmen on fire, some flame enhancements on. Oh, that. for sure. Uh, but uh, you know, I appreciated it. I think there was uh, some stuntmen I on just, fire. I like the fully engulfed stuntman who's, who's just running, who's clearly you know covered in head to toe in yeah. anti you know flame retardant stuff. Who's just walking as being coached by the stunt team. Yeah. Love that. Yeah, yeah, everyone goes into the same. Frankenstein yes. yep. walk yep. with it. Gotta and walk against the wind. It's funny because you're you're right. Like I I do love it too. Like I think of that as one of the things where I'm like, okay, that's a thing where it's good to have CGI so that we don't have to do that just because it takes me out of the movie. Mm. But I think we all like it because it takes us out of the movie. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I don't want to be taken out of the movie though. So I kind of like if you can do CGI flames and not not have to see that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Walk, that that I like that, but you're I just, right. It I'm is enamored with it because it, yeah. 
when it showed up in movies, it was because someone figured out how to do it. Yep. And then everyone was like, well, let's write a flaming guy in here. Let's do this. You know, when we figured out how to T-bone cars with everyone in the car, that became in every movie to the point where when it doesn't happen, you're waiting for it. Yeah, you're like, what's going on? We figured out how to cut people in half and then they don't realize it and then they fall into pieces. (laughs) And then we made Ghost Ship. Every movie did that. Ghost Ship did it. Resident (laughs) Evil did it. It started with Cube, I think. Yeah, yeah. Uh, But that was was the thing. 13 Ghosts. Is that the Matthew Lillard one? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Slit in half by the door. But we don't talk about that movie. <laughs> <laughs> so my question is, so when I asked you, Dave, I said, pick a movie, any movie, that you would feel qualified to speak about on our show. You thought about it, and you came back and said, Fright Night. I thought on it Why? hard. Uh, because the first Fright Night is probably my favorite uh, campy horror movie pretty much of all time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I mean, I guess you could call... American Werewolf in London also mm-hmm. campy, and that would be more of my maybe one of my all time favorite movies. But it's the, a, it's of a different flavor. The, yeah. This that script is a very the American Werewolf in London has a very sort of lean script that's it's not really like a three act thing. I right. mean, it literally ends when they shoot the werewolf and it's over. Mm-hmm. Like there's there, it doesn't they, even feel so heightened. I feel like uh, Fright Night feels a little bit heightened. Mm-hmm. It's it's in a different world yeah. slightly, you know. But so I I really loved. I don't know when I I've always been. A, I'm like a real like total sissy about scary movies. I was terrified. <laughs> like I would watch like a little bit of Lost Boys and then go hide. And I, I'm talking about like 12, 13 years old. Like yeah. I was a, I was a I have a very active imagination. I had tons of nightmares. I slept you know with the door open a little bit with the light on like on in the hallway. Until I was like fifteen, like I just had I was that the same way. thing. Yep, and um, you yeah, know, that's why movies, I love horror movies now. Vampires were the thing I was most afraid of. That mm-hmm. and Freddy Krueger, and so I would be obsessed with watching them, but then not. And at some point, and I don't know when I watched it for the first time, uh, Fright Night. But it just, I was, you know, it had such a good the story underneath. I'm very about like a good movie needs to work on more than one level mm-hmm. to even begin to become a good movie. It can't mm-hmm. just work on one level. It has to be a couple levels, and the story underneath about. Uh, you know, this boy who's trying to pressure his girlfriend to have sex and then kind of this sexual predator comes in and takes her away and him dealing with that. Like, I was like, I get this. That mm-hmm. and the, the character of Peter Vincent, played by Roddy McDowell, is one of my favorite I love screen portrayals character. ever of a coward who becomes a hero. And he, he, he layers it so beautifully. It's so nuanced. It's so sympathetic. It's so amazing to watch. And every time it comes on, I need to watch every scene that he's in. Mm-hmm. And so it just became a movie that became a love of mine that I've watched over and over again. And, you know, his performance never gets old for me. I always kind of find something new in his just subtlety. There's like no no acting there. No, it's just he's he's, he's inside the character and it's perfect. And well, so when the, I f- the character has to be so big sometimes. He's got those right. bravado moments a- where he like, because he, you know, he, he <laughs> he's that character, he's... <laughs> He is so living inside of of Peter Vincent, the man, he has to be able to portray the character of Peter Vincent from that that man, you know? And that's one of the things that's so cool about the character is that, you know, he is such a, you know, a a flamboyant character on in his TV show in mm -hmm. Fright Night. But the character that Roddy McDowell plays off the screen is so quiet Mm -hmm. and so shy and so timid. And he does so many things. Uh without telegraphing them with these little tiny gestures oh, and yeah. look in his eye and a tear like on his cheek that are real that are unbelievably real to me that I that blows my mind. I don't care about like 
how amazing the special effects in that movie are, and they are great, and they are gruesome, and there's amazing really stuff. Good in that movie. I love that movie because the real the reality of that movie is in Roddy McDowell's performance and his reactions to things. Mm. That's what makes it real to me, not the very real looking special effects. So it was a movie that I've loved my whole life, and I'm not a big horror guy necessarily. I love kind of all genres. But I'm a scaredy cat, so I don't watch it. So, like I can't watch Hostel. I'm too fucking squeamish. I I, I would honestly would pass out. I've watched when I watched, I want to watch you watch when Hostel. I watched the scene. <laughs> I watched the scene in um, uh, Rules of Attraction where the girl kills herself, and I honestly uh, almost passed out. I had to go lie down. One night, many many years ago, we were watching that movie, and I was pretty drunk. And that was one of the first times that I cried watching a movie. And I'd seen it a hundred times. <laughs> but that scene, everyone's like, are you fucking crying? I'm like, I, I think I am. It's oh, shit. It's a very shit. sad yeah. scene. And That's it, a wonderful it's movie. It's done in such a way with the, the sound effects and the way everything mm-hmm. turns. It makes you feel like you're you die losing your blood. So I, I like had to lie down. But so <laughs> the reason that I picked this movie is because when I found out they were making remaking it, you know, I was like, fuck that. This is one of my favorite movies. Don't touch this. This yeah. is a, like a perfect movie that is of its time, but it, you could still watch it today and get what and you need out of it. it's a good concept done well. Right. So it doesn't why, merit why do you need to redo it? Absolutely. And so I watched it like one, you know, I'm, there are things where like, I'm like, I don't want to watch it, but I have to. I'm very curious. <laughs> and this is one of many movies where I'm like, I don't want to see this. I know I'm going to hate it, but I will watch it. Uh, and I watched it and I loved it because it was, it was such a it was a completely different animal totally justified its existence mm-hmm. and it's one of the rare times i can think of ever where somebody took something i loved and did something new with it and and i like this it's sort of like clerks too i was like mm. i, really I don't want to see this too. and i went and saw it and i was like okay this is it was good. this is supposed to be i i uh, the, i mean this is a, a bold statement i think to some extent i i think i like clerks too maybe the best of kevin smith's movies interesting. i haven't watched it again since i saw it in the movies. i think clerks one is to me a more interesting movie yeah but i'd say 99 percent of the time if you put that and clerks two next to each other and said what do you want to watch right now i'd be like i think i'm gonna clerks watch clerks too. too that movie like warms my heart in a in just a uh uh, like a real legit way, and I don't, and I there's it no, came I don't at know. the right time yeah. for me. That was really where it hit. Yeah, it, it has that right depth. And I when I in college, we made movies because of Clerks. Like mm-hmm. our first movie was called Dorks. We made like a, <laughs> like an hour long movie, and then we made these other two movies called Four Days and Four Days Two: Rupert's Revenge. The first one was an <laughs> action movie. The second one is a horror movie. We should sit down and watch one of them sometime. I would we love to. We made them. I, I mean, want to do that. The then first one's ninety minutes. Story. The second uh. one's two and a half hours. Uh, we made geez. these with a handheld VHS mini VHS. Did you shoot in order? No. Uh, uh. And we filmed we, mini VHS, and then rec- we edited it by plugging the camera into the VCR. VCR. I mean, oh, there's man. moments yep. where there's like little blips of of like static. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and they're terrible movies, but like. You know, that Two got seconds me of a home started. movie. Yeah, well, it got me started on my whole movie making career. Oh, yeah. So Clerks is so seminal to me that, Absolutely. like, when I was coming out, I'm like, no. But then I went and saw. It, I was like, oh, good. My good, friends good. and I made a a James Bond movie when we were kids called Agent Secret. Ooh, <laughs> Agent Secret. Yeah. Not uh, secret agent, but agent secret. Agent secret. Uh, that was the same thing. Just two VCRs, hook them up, put tapes in either of them, and just start editing away back right? and forth. I yeah. mean, it took us literally. 40 hours yep. to edit that two and a half hour movie. Yep. It involved finding, I had a log of what was on each mm-hmm. thing. And we had, oh, yep. You we would, had the stickers on the tapes. You oh, would yeah. pause the, we, we would pause the VCR Get and you had about, code. you had about 90 seconds before it would unpause. And that's where <laughs> yep. those little blips yep. were, where we would try to find the other thing. Mm-hmm. And I was like, kids today, like, 
I don't want to be a guy who says kids today, but that yeah. is one thing where you can. It's like my life would have been completely different if we had that stuff. Oh, 100%. When I was 15, I would have made a thousand movies by, mm-hmm. by now. And you would have mm-hmm. done it with your phone. Yeah. yeah. It's wild. It, uh, like I do with my nephew now. It's like we make movies. Oh, yeah. It's hilarious. We did crazy. Like we had uh, the the one of the kids' uh, houses that we shot them at. Had, his dad was like a musician. And so he had all this like recording equipment in their basement. So we figured out how to rig like a, uh, you know, a, a, a soundboard uh into a into the back of the VCR so that we could add like sound effects or if we wanted to add music we could just play music on a boombox put the microphone up to it and then there would be music in the background of the scene layered on top of the other sound uh, which meant none of it was ever balanced right, it was always this like crazy mishmash of sounds of but it was like this amazing experience of like m- we had to make a movie yeah, you know what made, I mean like yeah, we yeah, had to make a yes. movie uh, like scratch. in order for there to be a tape at the end that was a movie, we had to make that. Yeah, right? you know? constructed. Yeah. We, we made uh, a movie once where we 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 had someone get shot in the head in the back of a car, mm-hmm. and the way that we did the special effects was we shot it, and then we put the DVD of Pulp Fiction on, <laughs> and the tape in because I had a TV with like the tape on it yep. and a DVD player hooked up, and hit play when Phil Lamar gets shot and recorded it on the tape, yep. and then put the tape back into the That's camera to amazing. finish the scene. <laughs> <laughs> we, we couldn't edit it. Yeah. it was the only way. So for for half a second, I was a black guy. I was dead, and then we moved on with the movie. It was wild. Well, I did in our first movie. There's an explosion at the. I mean, we purposely like we didn't want to use anything that looked real. So I literally like drew a house on a cardboard box and put mm-hmm. paper towels in it, and lit it on fire. Oh, but nice. it cut from that. To the end explosion of Blown Away, which is on a dock. <laughs> so there's water everywhere. Yeah, and it literally, we, we cut it to the point where you see Jeff Bridges and Forrest Whitaker jump into the camera. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it just cuts to us. Like, oh, but oh. so we had, my aunt had this um, thing that was to make, um, you could make like home movies or where you, re- you took pictures and you recorded them. And then you could put music over it and talk over it. I remember oh, okay. And yeah. we used that to do all our music. Mm-hmm. And uh, we balanced it pretty well. And I did voiceover like with the microphone live. There's a, there's a, there's a mistake in there because I did it live. Like <laughs> mm. I did it while yeah. we were doing it. Our first movie, we t- it took us all summer. I was eight, 18 years old, like 19, just home from college. First summer, we did it together. And uh, filmed all summer. Took us like 21 days. And we had this hour-long movie. And we had all our friends over. And um, I put the tape in the VCR. It was the only copy we had to make sure it was it was okay. And my VCR ate the tape and broke. Oh, oh my no. god! And no one has ever seen the movie. And all of us like we were depressed for the rest of the summer. That would ruin that ruined me now, and I've never <laughs> even seen it. And we we were like the whole the next year. But when we came back together, it was like Keanu Reeves going back into the castle to kill Dracula <laughs> in the movie where he'd already been there and escaped, and yeah, he didn't yeah. want to relive that horror. Like we That's all had a good this Dracula like movie really too. really like that movie. It's a very good movie. Yeah, we we all had this really dramatic like I don't know if I can go through it again, man. What are we gonna do? And we were like terrified the whole time. And so we have we have bits. Of, I also had we filmed over some of the raw footage because we ran out of tape, so yeah, we couldn't yeah, yeah. even redo <laughs> yeah, it yeah. together. You filmed over the wedding video, <laughs> so <laughs> so we did what we did is in both of the other two movies, four days and four days two, which my friend is supposed to be making DVDs of. We show clips of the first movie on the TV <laughs> somewhere so that it lives on for us because it's it great. Well, it's a little posterity here as well. People Dorks, will hear about it. Rest mm-hmm. in peace. So Fright Night. Um, <laughs> one of the things oh, that I, like I think that is diatribe. so, so <laughs> interesting. Oh, no, it's great. Uh, one of the things that I think shoots so many remakes in the foot is that they are either overly reverent to the original mm-hmm. to the point where they're 
it, they're almost making tags to right. the movie, right? But where it's just, hey, you liked the first movie? We we saw it too, right? Mm-hmm. Right, guys? Right? We saw it. Right. Remember that? Car- and I don't think there was really any fan service so much. Yeah, this one only had like this. four tags. Four, like, direct lines. They were things that if you watch it in a vacuum, you'd be like, oh, I guess that must have been a reference. It worked within its own lens, and that's that's where things like The Fly and The Thing really work. I mean, there is a help me in The Fly Mm -hmm. that's to play off. But if they did that, it would just seem, you know. Yeah. And so I I really like that about this remake. If I hadn't seen Fright Night, I still would have been like, this earned its, this merited its own existence. Written by a very confident screenwriter like mm-hmm. marty knox and clearly has a ton of experience and she has the confidence to say i'm gonna go do my own thing with this yeah mm-hmm. and not be beholden to it in yep. any way but also kind of stay true to the, some of that spirit it still feels like fright night to me absolutely yeah, you know? it's the same story yeah. i mean I, we were saying in the end credits that it said story by uh yeah, yeah. Uh, Tom, uh, oh holland tom holland, tom holland. holland. Yeah. and that's the guy who wrote and directed the original and mm-hmm. it's like yeah they it's the same storyline where he kidnaps the girl and then yep. he goes to get her but that nothing about there's no you can't hold anything up and go this is the same as this no no there's no scenes that are just straight up shot for shot remakes or anything like that there's Mm -hmm. nothing like that but you're right it does still feel like fright night and although there are some switches up and we were talking about a lot of the gender swaps and stuff like that but i still i don't know i I related to the main character who was decidedly different oh yeah in the same way yes um the uh Charlie, uh, Charlie. Uh, the Charlie in in both the original and the were were me at different points in my life, mm-hmm. but it, I still felt that same sort of connection to them. Yeah, I agree. He uh, Yelkin is is uh, great. I think by the way, like he yeah. is so relatable as the. Uh, uh, how do I want to say this? I guess like the newly good-looking teenager. Yes, that, do you know that what I mean? Twist to the movie. He just was blossoms. Very interesting. Yeah. yeah, he's like he suddenly found himself in a different social class, kind of. Right. Uh, simply by she literally says like, and it doesn't hurt that your skin got cleaned right. up and got better. Right. Mm-hmm. It's literally by virtue of puberty he has suddenly become like a a, a different uh, man. Right. You know? The the movie has a cool theme of transformations because yes. we talk about him. He talks about sort of transforming from a nerd to a cool guy and then you have evil Ed transforming from a nerd into a vampire and obviously uh-huh. Jerry transforming into a monster at different points yep. in the movie like that's a very cool thread mm-hmm. that went through it because you know the Charlie is you know a little bit of a jerk at the yeah. beginning the way he's treating Ed he's kind of turned his back on his friend mm-hmm. and I can't help it I I much more identify with evil Ed than Charlie because in high school no girls wanted to talk yeah. to me really. <laughs> and like you know that's He's not like a perfect character. There's something about him that we understand because you want to preserve your social status in high school. Absolutely. But he is. There's something he has transformed a little bit. He's been, become a little bit. Of a I think what's monster. fun about it too is that his past. With, bit? I am wearing a Fitbit. I just wanted to um, point that out. In the uh, in the, I've been losing a lot of weight too. <laughs> and uh, the uh, I'm a bit fit. You and, and actually, tell you, you know what this is great for? It monitors sleep. And I sleep like a dick, and I've gotten so much better at sleep, and it's it's actually positively affected my life in that way, monitoring and affecting my sleep. But um, when you say sleep like a dick, I just picture somebody who sleeps for a while, and then at five in the morning wakes up the person next to me goes, "I want to fuck." Yeah, I just stand up straight and start drooling out of my mouth. <laughs> I want to fuck right now. And uh, but uh, it's a. Uh, Okay, so Charlie. Um, Charlie. No, one of the things that I like about his transformation is that he is kind of stuck in it because what he ends up needing to do to save the day and really man up and protect his family, where you know he is now 
not the head of the household, but he's the only man in mm-hmm. his household. He is the father figure now that his father's gone. He has to revert back to geek shit. Yes. Mm-hmm. You know, he has to, cool. to go in and be, uh, I like monsters. I, I study vampires right. and yep. be that nerd again. That he hides it at cool. the beginning, goes to great lengths to hide that video yeah. that Evil Ed has. And then not only becomes it at the end, but be- realizes that, that there is a coolness to it. Like mm-hmm. he, he turns it into something cool. And it was useful. Which yeah. is a great a twist thing in his on the original one, right? Because the original one is all about Charlie wanting people to believe him and him proving right. that all of this time he spent believing in these childish things has been worth something, that these things are are real, and this was not like some dumb thing I was doing because I was a dumb right. kid. And mm-hmm. that Charlie is very whiny. Yes. And this movie sidesteps that amazingly, kind of gives that whiny role to Ed, to Ed. and makes it one scene, kind mm-hmm. of, where mm-hmm. like... That's it because it is it's it's boring and when in, even in the original you know the guy's gonna be a vampire you've seen yeah. the preview you've seen him turn around with the with the teeth the amount of time the first movie spends with you Teasing not knowing out. I mean because yeah. you do know they they, mm-hmm. they treat it as if you don't know but really it's only Brewster doesn't know or only like the people yeah, around yeah, him yeah. and like they go t- a little too long with it mm-hmm. this movie like really truncates it oh yeah in a good way. Yeah, but I this... like the idea of, of Charlie in the original is like, why won't this girl sleep with me? It's like, because you're a nerd. Right. And in the new one, it's like, why does this girl want to sleep with me? Yeah. It's like, you're not a nerd anymore, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> Congratulations. Yeah. I mean, now I feel like all movies need to be, and this is this should have been going on more for the last 40 years, is they need to be aware of like what their trailer is going to be mm-hmm. sort of when they make it. Because like a lot of the first half hour of movies that we've all seen that are great mm-hmm. are like leading up to things we already know are going to happen because mm-hmm. of this, the way trailers are cut. And you have to kind of work around that. This movie has great surprise moments. 100%. Like the way the plot, there's that scene where Jerry comes to the door and is trying to get in and they won't let him in. And then the next scene is, is the movie. In oh, it unspools until oh, the end yeah. of the movie. Immediately. Yeah. Like he walks in the yard with the shovel, digs it up, pulls the gas line. And it's like, we're, we're fully in a different movie now. We've been, plucked out of the safety of the first half of the 45 minutes and it's there Mm. there was no instead of it building like a sort of a teapot rising rising and then it just all of a sudden literally teapot spills and you gotta clean it up yeah Yeah. Yeah. literally explodes which is cool but i I mean i guess really the the main thing is just they took the concept of my neighbor is an undercover vampire and i know about it Mm mm-hmm that's really it. And right. the first one sort of plays more of the rear window way mm-hmm. where it's nobody's going to believe me, but I have the evidence, but I can't show it to you. Mm-hmm. And the second one is more like, well, now he's fucking with my shit yeah, and I've yeah. got to stop. Right. It, you know, and they do, you know, in the second one, they make Jerry much more playful in that he clearly could kill Charlie several times in the movie, but he's entertaining himself this is oh, yeah. his only entertainment mm-hmm. i mean they literally show him watching the real housewives he's bored mm-hmm. out of his gourd that's not to rhyme like he's that's a bored really dude and yeah. charlie mm-hmm. is his entertainment and they that's something in the first movie it's more like uh you know he he has that sort of grandiose like i'm i i can squash you like a bug but charlie has to literally thwart him whereas in this mm-hmm. movie they sidestep that very cleverly by having showing these things of of like Jerry watching him bored at a time when he could kill him, like yeah, when he's sneaking totally. the girl out of the house. That's been a, a little bit of a modern tweak on the vampire lore because vampires have always been the seductive monster. Mm-hmm. Right, that is part of their that is one of their abilities is oh, yeah. that they can seduce you, uh, even if you are absolutely against it. They can hypnotize you, or do whatever it is. But one of the things that at least has come to to light more recently, I mean, it has always been a part of it, but has bubbled to the surface is the tragedy of being a vampire. Yeah. Um, right. 
you know, the, like there are. I mean, he says he's what four hundred years old. I believe I so, something yeah. like that. We, when the vampire lore first came on, it was okay. You know, they're a vampire. They're scary. They can't die. They live forever. The end. But I love the idea of a vampire being bored. Right. We don't think about that. Right. Where it's like, yeah, it would be really cool. It is a seductive thing, but you'd run out of things to do when you can't go out mm-hmm. during the day when you can only eat certain things and you know when you kind of have to kill to stay alive it's right that's interesting that's what that's the thing that i love about what we do in the shadows oh yeah is it's a comedy but one of the the things that they draw comedy from is these guys are out of touch yeah because they miss the world right they're not part of it really right. it's it's an I alternate lifestyle it's great you would love it well yeah. one thing i mean in the original movie you know jerry and this is the typical thing they do is like he is in love with Charlie's girlfriend. Mm-hmm. He really wants to be with her, make her his bride. Mm-hmm. And there's a sentimentality to him and a romanticism that is sort of that old world vampire. This movie doesn't have that at all. He's, he's, he's a very lascivious They describe predator. him as the shark in Jaws mm-hmm. in the like when people talk about it, the, the writer and the director. Um, and there is no sentimentality to it. I mean, he likes her because... Uh, she's a thrill kind of. Mm-hmm. He says like she makes me feel young. There's no love there. He doesn't have love. He doesn't, which makes much more sense. For he's an animal. Like mm-hmm. he's, a, you mm-hmm. know, we, if we had to hunt every day with our mouths, like that makes you a callous sort of psychopath. Mm-hmm. And what is the point of all that romanticism? Like that is Victorian. Yeah, oh, literally Victorian. So, jaded. Yeah. so like this movie, I think that it's more streamlined. It makes him a little. I mean, he's not sympathetic in any way. He's mm-hmm. just entertainingly funny. Mm-hmm. I think. He, yeah. He's got a couple of funny waves here and there that are like really. I like the funny. idea that he needs someone to get beer for him because he can't really get to the liquor it's store pretty, during the day. Yeah. Pretty funny. I mean, he could get it at night, but you know, if he doesn't have it, it's it's not like you know. Right. You can't just up and get it. There's a limitation there. Right. Uh, they do the thing in um, uh, Only Lovers Left Alive. There's a vampire that wants to go on a uh, transcontinental flight, oh, yeah. and one of the stipulations is, "Can I have a flight that takes off and lands at night?" And you never think about that, but it's right. like that's. That is a huge limitation. You right. know, that is a he can't get beer. He has to have a kid buy beer for him or give beer to him. I think that's so funny. Yeah. Yeah, that would get you pretty jaded if you if you are limited by this. Yeah, you're strong. Yeah, you can rip people apart and throw stuff. <laughs> but you can't you can't go to the store. <laughs> that's so tragic. <laughs> yeah. I thought the smartest thing about this was uh what they did with the gender politics in it. Because uh, yeah. I think if you're you're updating something like this, you uh, you have to play to you know we just we think about uh, men and women and relationships between them much differently now, right? Uh, which is good. Uh, and you know, most notably, the first one was written and directed by a man, and this one is written by a woman. Yep, and that's a big difference. Uh, and so what we do is we we take Charlie and and make Charlie the the virgin. I'm pretty sure right. they make that clear uh, that 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 he is a virgin. Uh, and 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 actually, I guess they don't he's even just, necessarily he's just not a sexual being, right? Yeah. You know? They don't even necessarily make his girlfriend out to be uh, sexually not, active. No, necessarily but she either. has uh, presumably had sex before, yeah. right? And that she's ready and she's not nervous, right? Absolutely. She has, a, and she has an interest in it. She wants but to have sex with Charlie. But she's not your standard horror slut. No, right. not she's at all. just a person. She cares for him. And Evil Ed actually says she's a bimbo, she's a slut, but he's right. the only one saying that. Mm. And nothing that, uh, nothing else we see in the film, especially right. with her. Gives you that impression. Mm-mm. She is just a sexually active teen. Yeah. And to somebody like Evil, she seems right like a like a bimbo because he's he's so far removed from that world. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I just thought that was like a really smart choice because it uh, one it gets away from this like really weird idea that like 
uh, our hero is essentially just like trying to figure out how to convince his girlfriend to have sex mm-hmm. with him. You know, yeah. Uh, which which is a it happens in eighties movies all the time. Uh, but it is a weird you know is just a weird thing to put out into the world. This it is the leftover of the pre sexual yep. revolution absolutely thing, which even in the eighties is is hackneyed. Yeah. I mean it, it was. You know, it was an absolute trope, I think. Oh, yeah. You know. It's just in the 80s, there was there was also much less of a chance that you would just end up derailing your audience. Right. Yeah. You know, if they if it was flip-flopped now, the conversation we would be having would be, well, that was a little bit tasteless. Oh, yeah. Right. Yep. And whereas, you know, I, I don't think there's, you know, huge ground being covered here. No. But there's no conversation where it's like, well, that made me feel weird. Right. Because it would. You right. know, we, we've, we've evolved to the point where that, that would and should make you feel weird. Right. And so to have this, it, I, I think it's wonderful. It's, it's just a cool, to take such a sexualized monster that is the vampire, mm-hmm. you really can, tre- you, you really can tread in a dangerous way or in a potentially upsetting way. Mm-hmm. And this is a way to do it without treading lightly. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, it works nicely. And it's also, you know, if if what well, Fright Night's nineteen eighty five, which means you know Tom Holland might have been bought born in fifty five, right? Yeah, and absolutely. you know that is a even if he you know is alive in the eighties and it's you know it's mm-hmm. so, totally sexually liberated time. He grew up at a time when no one was, and that burrows its way into a writer's oh, psyche yeah. in a way that will never come out. I will yeah. always be a Catholic schoolboy <laughs> writing books and writing screenplays, and there will always be a strange morality a weird sexual thing in all of my stories because i can't separate that from my psyche and i don't think i ever will mm-hmm. and even you know i'm writing in 2015 but i there that the 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 core of me is 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 that 1988 Absolutely. boy who's like <laughs> learning about sexes don't look at boobs and all yep, that stuff yep. like i can't get away from it mm-hmm. i think for a lot of those things it, it's a shame to say it like i i always laugh like every stride we make against racism is a beautiful thing but it'll never go away until the old guard just dies. Right. You know, like it's right. got to die out. Right. Yep. My grandmother can't be fixed, <laughs> but she can be eliminated. <laughs> but I mean, it, and it's, you're right. It, it, it informs what you're writing. And so it is, it is very cool that there's a woman writing this because her experience is going to be different. And when she watches, watches Fright Night 1985, the response is going to be different within her than it'll ever be in me. Mm-hmm. Naturally, it's just the way it is. And so for her to have written this and written it the way she did is is awesome because this doesn't betray the format of a horror movie. It still, you know, titillates the right way, if that makes sense. Right. Not necessarily sexually, but, you know, it presses the right horror buttons. But it's not me just being like, the titties! You know, oh, yeah, when she, the slut dies, the jock does this, that. Yeah. It issues all of that. And it's just a smart way to bring it, uh, to take something like this, which is like, like we said, it's like Fright Night is a good movie. 85 Fright Night is Absolutely like, that's a good movie. movie. You know what I mean? Uh, but in a world where, okay, we are going to remake it, like the th- one of the, I guess, reasons to do that is to present that good story in a way that makes sense to a modern audience where Absolutely. the sexual politics have changed. Right. The, you know what I mean? The, but it's not the, just an effects update. Right, exactly. It, right. It, you are modernizing yeah. the stories, yep. the characters. Uh, high schoolers have totally changed. Right. You know, that was Everything another thing about this different. was the way they looked and talked and, and just acted and, and interacted with each other. And the idea of bullies and nerds is different in this it's movie totally than it different. is in an 80s movie, you mm-hmm. know? And, um, you know, Charlie in the original movie is sort of a gee whiz kind of guy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so is Peter Vincent. They're, they're both these sort of very sincere 
characters and this Charlie is a lot more worldly because kids now are worldly sooner. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They just are. 100%. Yeah. I, and I really like the idea of, uh, I mean, we talked about this when we were watching it with Peter Vincent. I love the idea of someone who dabbles in the supernatural suddenly being forced to confront like, oh, no, this isn't just a gag. There, there are vampires. Right. There are ghosts or whatever. <laughs> yeah. But I like one of the things that, that I thought was so funny and, and cool about the modern Fright Night is that, yeah, sure, uh, Peter Vincent in 1985, yeah, it's his job. He does that thing. But he, he definitely loves it. Peter Vincent in the new one is so fucking cynical. Yeah. He's not even sold on his own persona. Right. He's just, you know what? I do this. I make my buck. What the fuck ever. Now we find out, you know, I'm going to keep it spoiler free that there is a reason for whatever his pathos may be. Right. But I, Which do, I think is the cynicism is distinctly modern. Good addition. Because Absolutely. without that little thing of what his past is, yes. I don't think that character ever comes to help Charlie right. the mm-hmm. way the other Peter Vincent did, who was an inherently good. Yes. Sweet Absolutely. man with a sort of a nurturing heart. And even mm-hmm. his job doesn't exist anymore. Joe Bob Briggs, Elvira, they're done. Right. Yeah. The Crypt yep. Keeper is out of right. here. Yep. But Chris Angel is alive and well, hopefully yeah. not for much longer. <laughs> um, but, you know, and, and to do Peter Vincent that way still updates the character, yep. still serves the same function as Peter Vincent, but it is, once again, not just... It's not so overly re- referential where it's like, oh, they're just cramming a guy named Peter Vincent right. in here. Yep. He serves the same function but has his own arc. And, and it's modern. He's cynical. Yeah, I was going to say, and it'll make sense to a kid watching it right. today. You and know? Peter Vincent in the original, even though the movie is from 1985, Peter Vincent is from 1955, mm-hmm. for sure. And it, it is that's one of the reasons I think I like it so much is it's it's almost this this, you know, it's like watching Vincent Price in an 80s movie like mm-hmm. where he doesn't belong. Mm-hmm. And he's such a throwback... Even in, in, in 1985, he was mm. a throwback that that whole thing was hackneyed and old, yep. and it fits so well. But And there's that the new Peter Vincent, which is this sort of like Las Vegas magician, that is the new hackneyed, hackneyed old thing yep, where it's yep. like, but it's still modern. It's yeah. There's something oh, young there's and there's people sexy. who love Chris Angel. Yeah, right, yep. and so like they, they play with that and you know have that great thing where he's, you know, his hair is fake, everything is <laughs> yeah, fake on yeah. him, so he's really When he really pulls not, off his sideburns, that is... It's Primo physical comedy, yeah. yeah. Drinking Midori. <laughs> David Midori. Tennant is a perfect he fit for that role. Fantastic. I think you know a great yeah. kind of guy who can play the heavier, play like a, a hero, and and he brings a lot of. Let's go kill something. I yeah. love that. Line. I just have to bring up Vincent Price. One of my favorite things about Vincent Price is he's the inventor of spooky voice. Yes. Yes. And there was a time where that was fucking terrifying. Yeah. But if someone was like, "Ooh, there's a ghost behind you," I'd be like. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, Stop. they approached uh, Vincent Price to. They wrote the Tom Holland wrote that character, hoping that for he would him. get him for the movie. But uh, at that, that time, he had decided he didn't want to do anything like that anymore. He felt too kind of henpecked by it. Mm-hmm. But he saw the movie and told him he loved it. Yeah, right which on. is kind of pretty cool. Well, it's kind the of casting, a love. It's a little bit of a love letter to it really Vincent Price and the kind of thing that he him. does. Absolutely. You know? Yeah, and re- you know the idea that the, those. I mean, at least in that movie, it was much more novel to me than now that this guy who was just a pretend vampire slayer could become a real one as mm-hmm. a young kid to me where I really um, identified with that because I, you know, in my, I think it appeals to young boys because we are in our heads, vampire slayers and stuff. Oh, yeah. and it's all make believe. Mm-hmm. And then this movie is saying like, no, if you dig down deep enough, you'll find the, the ability to really do that. And mm-hmm. I like that about the original one so much. The, I will say the original, I think, is just more earnest. You know, it, right. there's a real earnestness to that movie. Uh, and, and that, you know, like, 
Ed is a very sad character in that movie, yeah. I think, because he's he is the he's well, he wants to be cool. The Ed in right. the modern one is very comfortable yeah. being a nerd. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's comfortable comfortable in that sense. Yeah, there's like there's like a real tragedy to Ed in that movie, and that's only because it's so earnest about what it, what it's trying to do and, right. and how it treats its characters. I mean, this one's not as earnest. It doesn't have the heart of the first movie. It doesn't have the sentiment of it, but it it has a it has a heart. Yes. This absolutely. has a different heart. And I mean, I think, you know, yeah, this one is is pretty cruel to Ed. <laughs> like, Ed yes, yeah. pretty much immediately gets, you know, an axe. And That's true. He doesn't have any off. sort of redemption. He is mm-hmm. a kind of a comic relief. And in that movie, you know, there's this, you know, when the scene where, uh, you know, Jerry turns him and he's crying and it's a yeah. sad scene yeah. about being, and they yeah, sort of do it that, here, but yeah. it, it, they cut away so quickly yeah. from it. And uh, he, he really ends up getting used more as a plot device in this one to sort of set, up um uh well he's the reason why they even contact peter vincent in this one right right. because if uh if charlie was like oh we'll check out peter vincent he would that wouldn't make sense and that's all they really use him for is to set up charlie as being we talked about this a little bit while the movie was on as being at right at that point in your teenage years where like some of us are sort of deciding to move up and be adults and some of us are deciding to hang on to our youth Mm. and that separate that causes a rift between ed and and charlie and uh, unfortunately, that ends up making Ed just this plot device to illustrate that about Charlie. Right. Mm-hmm. And they do a clever thing, which is Ed does all that research and makes all those yeah. videos before the movie starts. Yeah. And, you know, Marty Knoxon cuts out uh, 10 minutes the of the movie yeah. because we don't have to see it. We see like three quick, yep. y- you know, YouTube clips and then we're done. We're in it. Yep. And Lisa, um, Lisa Loeb is probably so sad. The, about her son. Right. Why was Lethal Loeb? She was in it for five seconds. Yeah. Is, is she dating somebody in the movie? Like, why didn't they yeah. either give her a bigger part or just anybody could have yeah. been cast in that part? Um, but one thing that. But I mean, it's Lisa Loeb. One, one thing that they do <laughs> with Ed it? that is different in this movie than in the other movie is, and it's a big change, I think, that I don't necessarily like, is in the original movie, you know, Jerry basically extends his long fingernail hand and. and this is typical for vampires. Like you have to say yes. You, yeah. you you're not just turned without sort of accepting, and it is kind of the old the Victorian yes, way. Yes, but yes. that Ed takes his hand and he accepts. Mm-hmm. It. This one is kind of saying no, 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 up until he's bitten. So he's mm. never really accepts it, yeah. and then that kind of turns him into this curmudgeon. Like he's immediately the old one was thrilled to be a vampire mm-hmm. and thrilled to have this Absolutely. power. And well, this even, one doesn't seem to enjoy it as loves much. company angle because when he shows up in vampire form, his thing is like, "Ah, oh, let's we could ride this evil shit together." Yeah. I think that's some mm-hmm. some kind of a line like yeah. that. But it doesn't ring as like, "Oh, I'm enjoying this." Yeah, it's we could be friends again. Yeah, yeah, that's something. Well, yeah. th- this Jerry, I think, is definitely more predatory. They, yeah. they, they just they they really lean into that uh, that he's just an evil predator, basically. Right. And so that's what that's Ed why becomes. you take exactly, and that's how you, that's why you take away the sort of you know, or or in taking away the reaching out of the hand and stuff, you you right. you uh, emphasize the predatory nature of him right. that much more. And that goes into the setting too. If correct me if I'm wrong, because I I don't fully remember the original Fright Night, but. I believe the vampire's intention, uh, Chris Sarandon's intention, was just lying low. Mm-hmm. I'm going to bring people in, I'm going to feed, and no one's going to know. Yeah, well, and the original one takes place in just a regular just suburban area. Yep. This is, outside of Vegas, yep. a small pocket of a town mm-hmm. in the middle of the desert, which is how Vegas suburbia is, technically. And it's just, I'm going to go in there, I'm going to clean house, and I'm going to move on. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, And so he is more 
just uh, he's more just functionally moving through mm-hmm. as opposed to I'm going to make a life here. It's no, I'm just going right. to eat and, and move on. And that adds a lot of credibility to the body count at the beginning yep. of the film, which yes. wouldn't be possible in that no. other town. Like everybody would be losing their mind. Yep. Mm-hmm. But in a town where everybody sleeps during the day and works at night and is gambling well, or is really doing whatever, knows their nobody notices. Yep. That was a really clever, very clever touch thing to get him. Because that it is I think kind it of added a troubling to the scariness thing, of it otherwise. too. When they were doing the establishing shots, mm-hmm. where you really see this square of houses yep. and nothing around in the it. middle of the desert. And I mean, even uh, I don't know if you've ever been to Vegas. When you're flying in, you see the Strip, and it's surrounded by desert. It's just a, a den of there. sin in the mm-hmm. middle of nowhere. Right. So that's scary. It's isolating. Yeah. Because it's like, well, yeah, he's going to eat the whole town. What are you going to do about it? Mm-hmm. Leave. You got nowhere to go. Right. Yeah. And that really added to a nice spooky setting that felt. Homely in the way that like the neighborhood and poltergeist felt, mm-hmm. but it felt alienating. Where it's it's a trap in and of itself. I I found that to be very very effective. Yeah, the I, I had the more of a sense of the neighborhood in the up in the new version. Oh yeah, than I did in the original. And of course, that is for function. Mm-hmm. You know, because of the motivations of uh, Jerry. Um, I have a question for both of you because I'm I'm going back and forth in my head about it. In the first one, you know, there was a lot more. I mean, it was all you know, sort of a lot of uh, practical effects. Oh, yeah. And there was a lot more kind of monster stuff where, you know, Jerry turned into a bat and yep. then um, evil turns into sort of a, a wolf, wolf right? at a certain yeah. point. And he, well, he turns into just a full-on wolf. Mm-hmm. And then, but he's staked by uh, Peter Vincent. And then there's this terrifying, like, reverse oh, transformation. That's one of my favorite, um, tran- that's one of my favorite, like, werewolfy transformations in a movie. It's, right? uh, and it just the way it looks. Yes. I think it's one of the best representations of that idea it's 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 incredible and um in this movie there is nothing outside of i've got fangs and i I can't decide if i love that because the movie is not about that it it is much more about its own story than about special effects Mm -hmm. whereas the other movie is a lot about those practical effects which are they are one of the stars of the film yeah what do you think do you think we lost something that we didn't get to see a bat or any of that stuff uh i have a feeling if we got to see bats and wolves in this movie based on the effects we got which were not bad by any stretch we would be talking about how cheesy and dumb it was yeah yeah i think when you're updating the effects that is a sacrifice to make yeah because no matter what no matter how fucking good it looks colin farrell turning into a bat is inherently silly yep and whereas the original Fright Night does feel like it's a heightened world, mm-hmm. this does in some type of way feel real. Mm-hmm. Um, and so to have him turn into a bat, and that's why when some of the monster effects come in at the end, they do sort of pull you out of the movie a little, a little bit. bit. Uh, and it and it's because they're almost not fitting. Right. So I think it was smart for them to avoid a full on transformation mm-hmm. if you're going to go with modern effects. Which if you're updating a horror movie. That might be a you know a trade off that you want to make. If he if he like I made the joke at the one part. If he just away and yeah, threw away yeah. into the bed, it would be comical. Yeah, and suddenly you'd go, this is not so scary in a different way. And then it might come off as bad because you're like, well, if they're gonna do these effects, yeah. why are they doing with a fucking computer? Well, that that is what I was just gonna say to this point though, and you brought this up, Dave. Is so if we now are in a world where we're like, all right, well, we're not gonna do fucking like bats and wolves and stuff because that might really look cheesy with the digital effects. 
why even do the digital effects for the vampire faces? Right. That's a thing we've known how to do with makeup forever. Right. Like, I mean, they did. They, I mean, they went to great lengths with computers to do what they did with practical effects in the yeah. first movie. And I, think I got to imagine it's a budgetary thing because I think at this point, generally, computer effects are actually cheaper than yeah. Than that, I think it's entire. that. And I think it's also once again, I, I think a lot of it has to do with the three D. Yeah. Um, when it's popping out at you, yeah. the the makeup will show, and then it. Would feel more like you'd gimmicky. You see the kind of grain, you'd see grains the seams, of this, of and, the, and it would okay. feel gimmicky. And whereas, you know, three D is a gimmick. Uh, right. That the tone that this movie took of we're trying to make it real, mm-hmm. I think is on some level served better by the CGI. Mm-hmm. It's not what I prefer, but I think that would have certainly made for a different movie tonally. Yeah, and I really liked the tone of the update. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's, it's a weird trade-off. There's probably a middle ground that could be met, but we don't live in that world. They also did a cool, a couple cool things of like showing Jerry go from that crazy mangled face oh, back yeah. to his regular that face. That was cool. And it was a very nice effect. The same thing when he has been run over and his arm is broken. And oh, they yeah. showed you, you literally see sinews reconnecting in his mm-hmm. arm and like mm-hmm. veins going back in. And it was like very, and it was quick. It wasn't sort of like showcase it was just a quick thing as his arm was turning that was like oh a nice little effect then that was good and it would i guess be weird to have some of it be practical and some of it be in, mm-hmm. and you'd notice the difference mm-hmm. oh yeah that that being said there are some really cool effects that were done with makeup uh whenever colin farrell is uh jerry whenever he's feeding uh the blue veins creeping veins mm-hmm. start yeah. to come up and i'm pretty sure a lot of that was makeup effects uh the one thing i noticed throughout the movie is that it's very smartly lit some scenes I think could have been brightened up because it was hard to tell what was going on. Mm-hmm. I think that may also just been a result of the format we were watching in. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were watching a YouTube rental um, on a projection on screen. a projection on, screen. So on, there is onto some, a gray wall. Onto by a the gray way. wall. It's like so a, that it's like is a faintly a thing. gray wall. So I think par- partially because a lot of this took place at dusk, mm-hmm. we were actually getting a, a more miscoloring than you normally yeah, would. Yeah, yeah. But the lighting was smartly done. Yeah where a lot of those computer effects were hidden by shadow mm-hmm. and thusly weren't noticeable. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was able to blur the line between where the makeup was and where the CGI was, and that was very nice. Uh, it, was just the, it was very smartly lit. Yeah. Uh, I want to talk about the car scene really quick uh, before we jump off of the movie altogether. I thought the, there's, a, there's a particular, I guess a car chase, we can call it, that yeah. uh, uh, this was made in 2011, I think, and Children yes. of Men was like 2008 or 9. Uh, and they've, they very clearly are, 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 I think, using even the same kind of rig that Quaron developed for mm. that, uh, the, the car chase sequence in, in Children of Men. And there was, there was some... There was a practical road. There was yes. also a blue screen yes. that I imagine was affixed to the back of the car. Mm-hmm. Um, you have three performers yep. dancing around a camera. Mm-hmm. You know that that is definitely occupying space that an actor was. So there was some behind the camera acrobatics going on. Oh yeah, that are very and, impressive. And it's a it's there are some extended long takes there that could be some digital stitching in there too. Yeah, it looked absolutely. like to me a little bit. Um, yeah, I mean it is possible to kind of go through the window mm-hmm. of the car. Digitally, like like they did in um, What Lies Beneath, Zemeckis mm-hmm. kind of invented that thing of recreating the kind of Hitchcock things where the the walls would come apart, like in Psycho, yep. the camera goes to the bathroom and literally mm-hmm. the walls split just in time for the camera to go in. So you feel like you started out in the hall and you're inside it. Mm-hmm. But um, they also just did so many clever things with the scene itself. It kept turning. It didn't yeah. like beat things to death. It's kind of like, oh, I'm throwing a... A motorcycle at you now i'm hitting the back of you and mm-hmm. then now i'm pulling up in front of you then they run him over then mm-hmm. he's under the car like it had like seven different oh, yeah. beats to it and then that 
I think somebody the thing else that sticks in my head great. the most is when he uh, when he comes up alongside them and he's trying to get them to fishtail. Because that, I mean, that that kind of blows my mind a little bit. Because that had to have been blue screened mm-hmm. the way that was lined up. Because you see his face looking in, and then when his car goes in the front, the camera's looking directly into a mirror that is reflecting three actors ex- being expressive into it without the camera there. But the road that they're driving into is definitely practical. Yeah, right. That's impressive stuff. Yeah, right. And it's possible that the mirror was the blue. Could have been Absolutely. digital. I thought about that. Absolutely. Yeah. Um. But yeah, it's uh. Even if that's the case, it's like that's such an impressive. Just to the, the thought process that goes into creating a sequence like that is like insane, to right? Me. And if That's you can't tell how they by did every it. level of mm-hmm. cast and crew, it's not just your actors. No, rehearsing. everybody's performing. Your cameraman's yeah. rehearsing. Right. Your effects guys are. You know, you have to rehearse that and yep. run it like a single thing. You know, it actually reminded me of even more than Quaron, um, which it very much was like that scene uh, in Children of Men mm-hmm. with the uh, with the motorcycle gang, mm-hmm. but in War of the Worlds. Oh yeah. Uh, the scene where they're first driving out of town. And they're just arguing. And they're just arguing. He's trying to get Dakota Fanning under control, mm-hmm. and he's weaving in and out of traffic. Mm-hmm. That camera, I, we timed it when we oh. did the episode. It was very close to 10 minutes, and it was in, in and out all out, around. In, out. Unbelievable. Yep, through windows. Through just really? kind of, oh, it's it's an incredible shot. But it even at one point, if I remember correctly, bleeds through the windshield, like yes. what you were saying yep. with the Hitchcock, where yeah. it goes into the windshield, breaks that pane, mm-hmm. but still maintains the the solidity of that pain mm-hmm. in later you know later areas of the shot. Yeah. Insane. Steven Spielberg's War of the Worlds, we recommend it. I did li- I did like it. I felt like it it wasn't and the human story wasn't central enough for mm-hmm. me, but I did I did enjoy it. Yeah, we talked about that a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh that's uh that was one of our first entries on our show. We do this every once in a while where we talk about a movie that people classically are kind of like, "Eh, and we're like, no, 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 it's good. Let's yeah. let's talk about why it's good. I think the family thing in that movie is undercooked, but the yep. one thing that I will always, always defend it for is the son living. Yeah, yeah. People are like, oh, he would have died. It's like, do you want him dead? Yeah, yeah. Maybe just have a little fucking hope. Yeah. Don't I mean, you love the he fact probably that he's alive? Died, yeah. He probably would have died, but you know what? He didn't. Yeah. We don't know how. We don't know why. But isn't it great that he didn't? <laughs> do, do you want kids dead? Like that's especially in an almost immediately post nine eleven thing when you're yeah. showing massive destruction. It's nice for the family to get together. Yeah. <laughs> Perhaps they would have felt it more if the family dynamics were a little more cooked. But you know, I mean, yeah. there are there are amazing scenes in that movie. Um, like throughout. I mean the the scene where, um, you know the. The guy takes the car from them with the gun, oh, and then yeah. he is immediately sort of beaten to death. Mm-hmm. It's terrifying, mm-hmm. and that scene after where they're in the diner, kind of realizing mm-hmm. that was going to be them, is beautiful. Mm-hmm. The scene where Tom Cruise makes the daughter, makes Dakota Fanning sing, mm-hmm. so that, that he can my kill Tim scene. Robbins yeah. is yeah. chilling. There's cool. a, there's a there's I'm some great stuff in that movie. It just by the end becomes kind of. I mean, it's hard. I think it's hard for things like that and Godzilla and stuff like that for us to relate to them. Where like we're we can't identify with the character. I mean, yeah. the, you know the the hero of the hero of War of the Worlds is bacteria. That's a yeah, weird yeah, yeah. thing to yeah. like think of. It's it's brilliant. Yeah. But how do you identify with that bacteria? Would, you, would you call it Deus Ex Biologica or something? Ooh, like that? Very nice. <laughs> I mean, that is one of those movies where, for the most part, the heroes are. Um, spectators of what's yes. happening around mm-hmm. them. I mean, Tom Cruise is sucked into that thing and kind of drops the, the grenades. Yeah. It's one of the only things he actually does. Most yeah. of it is them running from stuff Reacting. and observing it. And they are, they are, you know, a lens more than they are characters. I gotta say, though, when he, when he gets pulled out and he's just holding the grenade pin, yeah. almost leapt out of my seat with yeah, excitement. That is some wonderful scene. stuff. 
Love that movie. Wonderful stuff. Uh, so we, Does anyone want to say anything else about Fright Night? I was going to say, I, I want to wrap lists? the Fright Night combo and get into some lists, I think, unless you've got some final words you wanted to lay out yet. Uh, no, I think, you know, when we get into the what I picked for my horror remake and kind of sum up what okay. I thought about what I loved about Fright Night, because I have a very specific thought on remakes. Okay. Yeah. Well, let's uh, let's hit that thing, because oh, the I end just, of what I was going to say is I just think the casting in this movie was such a big part of what oh, made yes. it good. Oh, yes. 100%. Absolutely. I, Colin Farrell was really good. He played the... the I mean, he played the way in where you would feel threatened by a hunk if you were a oh, young yeah. teenage yeah, boy played that, that well. feels possessive of a woman. When you see a hunk guy, you go, whoa, 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 you know, and that's... Yeah. He's, and that, once again, ties into the modern sensibility that, that you do get that. You feel threatened by him he's, he's a hunk he's right? also he's such a Steve big Rule. he's just a fucking hunk. yeah <laughs> he's such a big physical menacing presence yeah he's really we don't need him to change into a bat or anything right yeah. like yeah. he just he is this monstrous man yeah. to begin with so like but when he's also hanging outside the kitchen and can't be let in those puppy dog eyebrows sense a meekness yeah and yeah. he's very good at writing he was an actor that i was not on board with for a while mm-hmm. and now he's one of my favorites oh yeah say what you will about season two of uh true detective it's, it's he's great in it whether you like it or not he's brilliant i enjoyed it it is a little there's so much going on that it's easy to lose the thread but he like really incredible performance in yeah. that really really incredible oh i gotta see it what, what was his name he had a great name oh what is his name uh, uh, either way i i think that what makes a really really good remake and to me would be the litmus test for most remakes especially in horror is could you watch the remake first mm-hmm. and enjoy it just the same? Mm-hmm. And I good, think Fright Night passes it's a good very, very clean. One hundred percent, yeah. You know, and and furthermore, if you want to add to that test, would seeing it inversely ruin your enjoyment of the original? Mm-hmm. And the answer to that is no. I, I don't think it would. They are distinctly different enough yeah. that you can enjoy them as companion pieces. You could discover the second one and go and like this. Ray Velcro, that was his name, because it reminded me of Velcro. Ray, that's Ray right. Ray Velcro. Velcro. <laughs> but yeah, and I think it passes those tests. Well, so, and uh, I, I actually, and that's interesting, actually. I think I, I agree with that mostly. I think that's a, a pretty good litmus test for it. So what we did was we, we made some lists of uh, uh, movies we think should be right. remade. Should be remade. Horror movies, Do we do this one at a time, or do we do our I whole Now, kinda... did you do yours in any sort of order? Yeah. I did mine sort of a five to one in terms of how strongly I feel oh. about it, but um, I, it's not something I'm married to, but I, if you want to, I still think we should do one at a time. Yeah, let's do one at a time. Mine are in kind of an order. We can we can just talk about why we... I bet we have one that, that crosses over. I'm fascinated by that. But uh, I don't know. Yeah, we'll see. I don't know. Here's what I started so These with. are horror movies that should yes. be remade, and, was... and I'm going to throw this out there. If you're listening... And you would like to contribute a list, post it on our Facebook or hit us up on Twitter at I Like Two Movie. Yeah. I would love to hear your list. And if you submit one, we'll read it on the show in the future. What was your criteria? Because when I talk about mine, I will talk yes. about my criteria. What was yours or so, did you have one? Uh, I had kind of criteria. I, I feel like actually what I did was I just found ways to bend criteria to some mm-hmm. extent. What I realized was a lot of my favorite horror movies are remakes themselves. I know, right? The best. The ones Fly, The Thing, The Blot. It's like all, right. all my favorite horror movies like are, yep. are remakes themselves. So like, this is a genre that gets remade almost probably more frequently and often than Because it's concept most first. Right, concept concepts first. Concepts are so reusable, especially as technology advances. So I was trying to avoid choosing things that had been made before. I think maybe one of mine has been told before. I can't remember exactly if I put it on the list or Nothing not. Nothing wrong with a third remake. Right, I know. We're I know. on 
five invasions right. of the body snatchers? Uh, a couple the of them. The last one of which I hated. It was bad. Yeah. Real bad. Uh, some of them are like adaptations that I'd like to see almost. Uh, if that makes sense, you'll see what I mean. In fact, here, I'll start with my first one because that's kind of what I mean. So my first one is called Vampire Hunter D Bloodlust. This is Holy an anime. Shit, I've has seen anybody that ever before. seen this? I rented that I years not. ago because someone was like, this is where it's at. And I hated it. Oh, I love it. <laughs> I, I mean, love it. I was uh, definitely not an anime fan at yeah. that point in my life. I think it would make... Here's the thing. I, an the anime reason movie? I think, yeah, this is an anime movie. And the reason I think it would uh, actually be a good... the So what I was thinking Wait, is... is that the second one or the first one? It's the second one. You okay, see no, it right. Live, I think that is the one I saw. You want to see it live action? Uh, yeah. that's So that's, that's my point is remade, quote unquote, right? Like this would make, I think, a great... Uh, big action movie now, right? Mm-hmm. And it would almost play more as an action movie than a horror movie to some extent. But the idea is, this is why it would work now and be like marketable now. Post-apocalyptic world. That's fucking every movie you've ever seen right now. Post-apocalyptic world. A lot of vampire hunters in this world because vampires are just a fact of this world. Our main character is a half-human, half-vampire. Uh, and that makes him the best vampire hunter of all. Uh, and he Blade. has... He, yeah. Some motherfuckers always trying to ice skate up him. He has this long-lost love uh, who he has to rescue from... Uh, a, a a Dracula-esque vampire who uh, has this gothic castle that turns out to be a spaceship that rockets into the sky at the end of the movie. It's this crazy, post-apocalyptic, science fiction, vampire horror story that is very romantic and very gothic, despite the fact that it's like this very modern you know, science fiction take on all this stuff. Who do you think should make it? So I thought about that, and I feel like... Um, I feel oh, I didn't think of all that stuff. You, I, that that, I, just that was something that I thought... I think... Did I write... I think... I feel like Del Toro, just based on his interests... I was just going to ask, because you almost just described Crimson Peak. Crimson Peak, Blade... It's like all of the things that he's done would become this sort of beautiful amalgamation trying to take this to the big screen. I think it would work. Uh, I would be interested to see it. Right on, right on. Because overall, it's an anime, and a lot of animes don't always hang together as like these great 90-minute movies. You know what I mean? They always have like these languid periods in them where it's like... What are, we, what are we doing here? What, what is well, they, this about? And they do tend to coast on the impressiveness of yes. the visuals, mm-hmm. which can be enough sometimes. Yeah. But yeah, so uh, I, I think it would benefit almost from having to adapt it for a, a live action story because you would have to figure out how to economize a lot of things and and, and t- tell the story a little better, make the characters a little more fleshed out. Right on. Yeah. What do you got for us? What's your well, first entry? My criteria first off oh, yeah. is you know anything I, I eliminated anything that I thought was done so well that it never needed to be remade. So, like, most of my favorite horror movies are not on here, like The Fly and things like mm-hmm. that, where I'm like, there's no need to... You could drain more, you know, juice out of that thing, but mm-hmm. you, there's no could need for it. Better, me. Yeah. So that was a big one for me was, you know, if it had been done so well that I could say to somebody, here, watch this movie, it's from 1976, but you're going to love it, mm-hmm. then don't remake it. Don't yeah. do it. So that was one thing. The other thing is that the so the original had to have left me wanting in some way where I'm like, there's something that's a better filmmaker Mm -hmm. could do this better Mm -hmm. or just a different filmmaker. So the first one I picked is the lost boys, uh, Mm. which is, you know, one of my favorite vampire movies. uh, And it's, it's very much of its time. It's very eighties. And um, you know, Joel Schumacher is a, is a very good director, but he's not, he doesn't have a true sort of horror love. I don't think. And that there's something like that story could be retold in a modern way, you know, a guy, a little kid whose brother is turning into a vampire and them having to save the day in a way that could be m- much darker, much more, uh, you know, compelling and a lot more. That that movie was 
campy, but to a degree where the characters were sort of cardboard. They were sort of mm. two dimensional. So I would love to see somebody who, you know, really kind of puts flesh on their characters to make them more real. And that's it could be more horrifying than it was. The movie was like so f- funny like it scared the crap out of me and that that monster honestly that is the scariest vampire makeup i've ever seen oh yeah the their eyes place, are, are horrifying their eyes with their sunken in cheeks and the the way their fangs were that scene where that that sort of like uh blood orgy bacchanal scene on the beach where they're like biting into mm-hmm. surfers heads and then throwing their bodies on a pyre is like fucking terrifying mm-hmm. there's so much there that you can redo it and make it just scare the shit out of me i want jim mickle to remake it who is that? What? Jim Mickle, he did the remake of We Are What We oh, Are. Oh, yeah. Stakeland, Mulberry Street, We Are What We Are. Um, it was a Mexican cannibal movie, and he updated it and uh, made it modern. Yeah. and um, But I, I think tonally he'd be very good with something like that. What do you got um, on? Uh, what are you starting well, My criteria on? is just these are movies that I think uh, are great concepts that were made uh, not necessarily poorly, but could be made better mm-hmm. or... There were concepts that were used in a certain form, and I think could be altered to fit a modern sensibility. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other, the other criteria that I had was just after I made my initial list was they they can't all be Stephen King movies directed <laughs> by Mick Garris, <laughs> but the first one is, and it's it. Oh yeah, um, yeah, that was going to be on my list too. That that's the one that I thought might be on your it's list. Not, it's I've not, never okay. seen it, so it, the only reason yeah. it isn't is because I know that they were so close to just about making it. It's yeah. still happening. Um, but I, I'm fearful that it's once again just going to fall victim to the fact that it's not easy to adapt. That is a huge, huge book. Really, the best way to do it would be in miniseries format. Mm-hmm. Problem was, I believe it was made for, like, ABC. Mm-hmm. And so, whereas, yeah, uh, Tim Curry is terrifying as Pennywise the Clown. The Clown is such a small part of that book. Yeah, he takes the form of a clown, but it's... It, that's just one thing that he takes the form of mm-hmm. the it. Have you read it? Have you guys no, read it? No. Incredible book. You really should. But it is an evil that visits this town every 27 years, and it knows what you're afraid of, and it becomes that for you. Mm-hmm. And that's all. Mm-hmm. Um, sort of its basal state is a clown. And so these kids are attacked by it when they're children, and 27 years later as adults, they're drawn back to fight it again. Mm-hmm. So there's two awesome movies to be made there with two completely different casts. Right. Or there's an HBO miniseries right. that goes back and or forth Netflix, episode by episode. Or episode. Netflix. That would probably it's be an eleven hundred page format. book, I think. Mm-hmm. It's it's huge. And so there's a lot of ground to cover. I mean, it's it's not just clown terrorizes people. And it has to be R rated because it is a very, very, very adult, dirty, gory, grimy book that has some very, very explicit and essential sex in it. That in the movie was replaced with a giant spider. It's, it's <laughs> is there not strange. a giant spider in the book? There is a giant spider in the book. Well, I was going to say, because I, I watched the miniseries as a kid, and it terrified me until the fucking giant spider at the end, mm. which looks so fake. And when they when they shoot it with the... Uh, he, he uses the slingshot to shoot mm-hmm. that thing in there. You see sparks flying off of it. I'm like, <laughs> why are there sparks flying off of an ancient Cause it's, evil... Because it's just stupid. It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> and that's the issue with that movie is that... It it's almost impossible to do, mm-hmm. but it's so scary and it's so cinematic. It could be done. There's a scene in the book where a little kid goes to see Creature from the Black Lagoon, and because it is attacking, the Creature from the Black Lagoon walks off the screen and starts mm-hmm. attacking him. That's awesome. Horrifying. Mm-hmm. It, it, you know, but it can be done. 
but it's very hard to do in a singular one-off story. Yeah. So a two-part ABC miniseries didn't serve it well. Yeah. It should be remade. The John Ritter is great. John yes. Ritter, uh, very young Seth Kiss Green, me, fat boy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, my next is From Hell. Has anybody seen From Hell? I've seen From Hell. The, uh, I've not read the book. Do you consider that horror? Uh, well, here's what I'm going to tell you. I think that From Hell is a terrible movie, like a really, really okay. bad movie. This uh, is the Johnny Depp. Yes. Yeah. Uh, about I Jack like the Ripper. The movie. Yeah. Oh, I but hate I this haven't movie. read the book. So. Uh, I did. Well, here's the thing. I hated this movie long before I read the book. I, I did too. Yeah. I just hate this movie. I think it's a, just a bad movie, like top to bottom. Uh, and then I read the book. And it ended up being what I wrote my college thesis on because it's amazing. Okay. Uh, and there is a fucking great movie to be made out of this book. And it's unreal that somebody, quote unquote, adapted it into the movie that got made. Because the movie, I, you said you like the movie. So uh, do you have enough of a memory for this? To The movie uh, treats the Jack the Ripper case as a mystery yeah. that does not get solved until the end of the movie. Yes, that's that right. is a big reveal at the end is yeah. who is Jack the Ripper? Yeah. The book, we know who Jack the Ripper is by chapter four, and he is one of the main characters of the book, and we spend a lot of time with him. Uh, we spend a lot of time with his lackey. We do not spend any time with the completely invented detective-ish character that Johnny Depp oh, plays. Oh, really? Not in the book at all. Uh, he's like a weird amalgamation of like three or four other characters mm. that are very small players throughout the book. Uh, we spend a lot of time with the Queen who I don't remember, I don't think has a part in the movie at all. Uh, we spend a lot of time with the the prostitutes that uh, one of them, essentially what the book is about is that um, uh, the queen's son impregnates a shop girl who also happens to be a prostitute, and the queen decides we can't have this uh, uh, illegitimate heir to the throne, uh, but we don't know which one of these women uh, is the mother, so we're going to kill all of these women. Uh, and so she hires her royal surgeon to do that. Uh, and crazy. that Didn't is the elephant man show up in the movie. Uh, I remember that for he some was. reason. Yes. He's been like, what? Okay. Yeah, he was. Uh, the, 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 that's a way better, uh, plot than what was in the movie. It's incredible. And the, 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 that would be fun to watch. And, and it is Alan Moore's very well researched theory of, of who he thinks Jack the Ripper actually is. Uh, but what he does then is do a very Alan Moore thing, which is to go, but also this is about Thatcherism, uh, and it's about uh, the way uh, uh, this man was committed, the reason these murders were committed in the particular gruesome way they were is because he was a madman himself who was trying to sort of further enact the English identity of like white male Anglo across time by murdering these women in very specific ritualistic ways and very specific ritual places around England uh, to mystically sort of make sure that this white male identity would just perpetrate throughout time in Let England. Let me pitch this at It's you. awesome. <laughs> Could you imagine that movie being told in a faux documentary format? Oh, yeah, totally, yeah. Because actually the artwork is done I've in... I've in, through it. It's done a in a charcoal drawing style that would have been popular at the mm. time of, of the Ripper murders. Uh, so yeah, that would work for it, I think. Right anyway, it's just it's a fantastic book. The movie's awful, uh, and somebody could adapt that book into a great movie. Would it be I a horror movie? I have that book movie? in my comicsology, I, and i got to read yeah, it. Yeah, I, I don't know if it would quite play as a horror movie more than a historical drama. However, the madness of the Ripper character... Uh, would could be conveyed in very horrific ways, I think, from what you you get in the in the book for sure. Uh, there's also a beautiful moment in the book towards the end where he, in the midst of like murdering the final girl, like somehow magically just like teleports to like 2008, and he's just in an office 
and he sees like all these people just dronally like working at computers and realizes that like no matter what he does, like this is the future of the world. Like there's nothing he can do to keep these Thatcher ideals like alive throughout time. We are just going to be driven into the ground into yeah. a sort of madness that he fears. You know, it blew my mind. That it, it's awesome. awesome. <laughs> yeah. What do you got for us? Uh, the next one. I'll try to build, I guess, with them. Uh, this one should have been first, then, in terms of least important. But uh, <laughs> the gate uh, there was that almost made 1987. My list. No, it's, what is uh, that? Stephen Dorff at about like ten years old is about. Uh, I believe it's Joe Dante. Is it, is it not? Uh, it might be. I'm not no, sure. But it's about a little boy and his sister who kind of accidentally opened the gate up to hell. Okay. And um, the reason I picked it is because I mean it's a terrible movie. Sure. It's yeah, not yeah. A good movie. It's it's not Joe. It's Dante. ridiculous. Yeah, I didn't think it was. Uh, it it uh, but it has some terrifying, terrifying effects and just ideas in it. Uh, well, I remembered as a kid just seeing a couple minutes of it and being terrified. Then I watched it again as an adult. What I remembered was like this little boy getting stabbed in the eye with a Barbie leg, Ugh. and be just being like, "What is this?" and being so scared and changing the channel. Um, and that is part of the movie. I don't remember what happened, um, but there was just crazy things that happened, like where they this they're. Uh, this guy is in the in the room and the girl pushes him away and as he falls back and lands he turns into like eighteen little tiny people. Oh, I was going to say that is one of my favorite so uh, scary subgenres of horror is little guys monsters running <laughs> where it's just a bunch of little monster dudes. It's scary it. and there's just there's a lot of things like that in the movie that were very unsettling and yeah. that I think could be redone now and just given a better story. I feel like all of those eighties movies they felt the need to always give you this wholesome character that was your mm -hmm. whatever and it was just the kind of gee whiz kind of kid but there's something just horrifically uh kind of you know primal about how scary it was and i and i could see i mean i think it's still scary now even with how hokey it is yeah some of the th the scenes are just so unnerving oh i love that i gotta so. check that out Actually, in modern day, you could have Stephen Dorff play the father figure exactly. and do that as a, as a throwback. On the on the the Flash that I'm watching right now, his dad is played by the Flash from the '90s show that oh, I watched. Heard about that? Yeah, yeah. Yep. ship. And in in Fright Night, we should mention that Jerry from the original yes. plays a man who is Chris killed Sarandon. by the Jerry in this one, Chris yes. Sarandon, in a very lovely cameo. That it's oh, like yeah. really funny. He plays like this totally kind of like almost like a dandy who's so <laughs> so like afraid and yep. it's such a reversal of what he was it's funny because older he kind of just looks like a vampire version of younger him <laughs> yeah. you know, he's got a couple creases and, and folds where you know. um my number four is actually a a segment from creep show two okay which Ooh, is great. Creep uh, show is a fucking creep great, great, great thanks for the once ride, again lady. it's stephen king yes and the segment is the raft and the raft oh, is god right horrifying black like massive it's an water oil slick kind of looking fucking thing. terrifying a bunch of people out camping it's just a group of young kids uh, you know, like teenagers go out camping they swim to the middle of the lake where there is like the wooden raft where oh, you yeah. can dive mm -hmm. off and stuff like that and they're on there and they notice just floating across the surface of the water is like this oil slick looking thing and there's a bird stuck in it and come to find that this thing is sentient and will eat you. Mm. And it hurts really bad when it does. Mm. And so all it is is just one by one, like, okay, we'll distract it and we're going to go get back to the beach. Mm -hmm. And it's just eating these people one by one. Now, it takes place over the course of an afternoon. My idea, I think it could actually make a full-length movie in the vein of something like 127 Hours or Frozen or Open Water, where you can actually play out the politics of the people on the raft mm -hmm. for longer by establishing this 
this monster earlier and how dangerous it is earlier so that we can get a plot about these characters trying to come up with a plan, mm-hmm. turning against one another, whatever their histories are with one another coming to the surface. Mm-hmm. It, I mean, it is terrifying and gives me the creeps as it is, but I think it could be fleshed out to a longer than 20-minute segment. That scene where he's like making out with the girl, they're lying on the dock, he's unbuttoning her shirt, and it's this very sensual thing. He's like opening her shirt, you're seeing her breasts, you're like aroused, and then like the black thing kind of comes up from in between the cracks of the raft and starts uh, to eat her, and it's terrifying. Oh, it's can, I, can I say what the ending is, or is that a terrible spoiler? No, that's fine. It has one of my favorite endings okay. ever where it's like, the the ending is basically like I think I think it might actually be that part that the thing is like eating the girlfriend and he didn't do that on purpose he's terrified by it but he takes that as his chance to swim to shore and he's swimming away from it. it's getting closer and closer and you're like terrified and he gets to the shore and the last shot is him lying on the beach exhausted like this ah oh. no, he's and yelling black, at him. he's going I beat you right I beat right, you right 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 yeah. and then the thing just becomes a wave <laughs> the whole, this huge tidal wave of that awesome. black stuff that comes up over him and it, it freeze frames because that's how the each, yeah, each the, segment of, of Creepshow 2 freeze frames. Great movie. That's There's cool. a part where one person's getting consumed by it and they're just screaming about how much it hurts. Ugh. Horrifying. Ugh. Yeah, like yeah. kind of crackly bone sounds. Yep. Ugh. Ugh. Gruesome. But just a really effective uh, monster thing and it's based on a Stephen King short story. Yeah. And uh, I, I would love to see that fleshed out. That sounds cool. I'm into that. Yeah. Good work. And I have one that is like his... My, Second to last one is a is a segment from a movie. I'm realizing a lot of mine like only loosely fall into the horror category. So I went with Constantine. I don't know if anybody's oh, ever seen that. Horror, it's yeah. Keanu Reeves, uh, based on a comic book called uh, Hellblazer. Uh, which, first of all, if you're going to remake this movie, don't even treat it as a what remake. Was it? Were you uh, Constantine. Uh, Constantine. Okay. Yeah. Uh, don't even treat it as a remake. Like, just give us a better Hellblazer adaptation. Uh, call it Hellblazer. Uh, he needs to smoke cigarettes. Uh, he absolutely has to smoke cigarettes. Because uh, I don't. He, I don't, does. No, does he, he does. He does. He does. He's, he does. Di- he's got yeah. lung cancer. He's yeah, that's lung right. That's right. They took that away in the TV show they just did. That's what okay. it was. Uh, but I think I, I don't think it was like a. He didn't come off as the the really hardened chain smoker. Yeah, you it, know, it wasn't it wasn't a focal point when I think it should be. He it it has to be. Here's my thing. I think uh, Dan Stevens uh, would make an incredible John Constantine, Ooh. having uh, now become a huge fan of his after What's the guest. He, from? Uh, he is from the only things I know him from, and I only know him from one of these things. I just know he's in the other one. He's in Downton Abbey, uh, and he's in this movie, The Guest. That was my favorite movie last year. Uh, it's a really really cool. Uh, Hall- I would call it a Halloween movie. It's not quite a horror movie. Uh, it's a Halloween movie. Uh, it's a comedy thriller horror drama. It's awesome. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's really a good. Movie this dude, Dan Stevens, is the main character in it, and he just gives this incredible fucking performance, and I think he would be an amazing John Constantine. He's British, first of all, which was a big problem with Constantine. That he dude needs like to be him. very yeah. British. Uh, he he needs to be have some brownish blonde hair, uh, got a big brown trench coat, not in black all the time. Uh, smoking cigarettes. I liked the movie. I'd never read the comics. Yeah, so it's just, okay. I watched the movie as a standalone yeah. thing, and I I liked the movie, but I, the ending is the ending of the prophecy. Yes, where the devil comes and saves him from a different angel. I'm like, that is yes. the exact ending of yes. prophecy. Why would they do that? Yeah, how did uh, nobody go like, oh, this is really similar to that? And Hellblazer uh, is a fantastic comic that ran for a long time. That has a lot of really fantastic stories they could pull to make a really good movie. Uh, and I think that that character is deserving of a good movie and. Has hasn't had it yet. 
Uh, their, cool. their one attempt was a misfire. And that could be a franchise, too. Oh, 100%. If there's a lot of stories that yeah. they could pull. I mean, actually, Guillermo del Toro was going to make a Hellblazer movie when he was going to make the Dark Avenger or uh, Dark uh, Justice League movie that they were trying mm. to do. He was uh, That's not happening anymore, but he was going to direct a... It's called Justice League Dark, uh, which is a, a, a DC comic that uh, John Constantine is the leader of this Justice League that's all these like magical, mystical, dark villainous characters from the dc universe right on yeah pretty cool would watch uh, would watch too uh so yeah that i i think that uh it's a good character deserving of a of a good movie and fuck it if dan steven shouldn't play him i'd watch that i think yeah. he'd, he'd be a perfect he'd be choice great and it would be a good chance for him to use his stature from the guest but you know put on a five o'clock shadow get yeah. gritty get yeah. dirty and be, be less of a hunk <laughs> yes yes dave um, got? My next movie is, and this isn't really a horror movie, but it would be uh, c- close enough. Is Frailty? You know? Oh yeah, oh, I love Frailty. Who, who who directed it? What's his name? Bill Paxton. Yeah, Bill huh? Paxton. Yeah. Uh, that is my problem with it. I think it is a great story uh, that I could see reading the script and being like, "This is amazing," but I felt like it was terribly directed and terribly acted, <laughs> and all of the performances, with the exception of uh, McConaughey, who that was one of the first movies where yeah. I was like, "Yeah, he's good. really good," because. This is you didn't well, dig on Powers Booth. This no, I didn't. I didn't, <laughs> and I didn't dig on like some of it. I re- I saw it in the movies with a friend, and I remember people in the theater laughing at parts that were not supposed to be funny. Yeah. There was just like overacting, and like Bill Paxton talking to his kids and going, "They're demons!" Like people were laughing <laughs> yeah. at his like accent. game over, man. Yeah, like it, yeah. that's what he was doing in yeah. the movie. And I feel like that that story. Yeah, like McConaughey I think for shined. A first time director. It's it's a serviceable yes, job, but it was. But I such think it could use some flair. An amazing script, mm-hmm. and had such a great kind of turn to that it. That ending oh, yeah. is brutal. such a great yeah. ending, and you know McConaughey really rose above it for me. And I was I liked them from like you know uh, a time to kill and, and mm-hmm. contact. Mm-hmm. I thought he was good, but that was something where I was like, wow, he he maintained his integrity in a film where the the like directing was not and the acting around him was yeah. not up to par, and he he came out of it clean, which I think mm-hmm. is. Something that a great actor can do. You see a, an actor like you know, like Kevin Spacey and, and uh, like Samuel Jackson in a movie like The Negotiator that is not good. They both come out of it clean because that's yeah, yeah. how good they mm-hmm. are. That's so, a fun movie. So that's a movie it. that I would like to see. <laughs> Way too long. Frailty. I would like to see. Read. And the, I like that. It was, yeah. I'd like to watch Frailty small, again. It's small, been a while. Small budget for Frailty for sure. And they had yeah. that one special effect, which is him having that vision of the angel coming down. Mm-hmm. So th- they could do a lot more with it with a bigger budget. I think. Oh yeah. Right and just. No, I'd watch it. I enjoyed that movie. It's been ages since I've seen it. I, I would seen like that to revisit it. Long time. It. I, mean, I remember it being pretty. Uh, all right, <laughs> all right, all right, all right. Uh, what do you got there, Dan? All right, number three for me is Hellraiser, which mm. I think is a very cool movie. Mm-hmm. Um, it's definitely of its time. Mm-hmm. I think that you could tell a million stories about someone opening that box, mm-hmm. and they've tried, and they've tried, <laughs> and they've failed because the they've all been Hellraiser. relegated as sequels mm-hmm. to this. You know they they franchise Pinhead, who's yep. not even really that no. that uh, he's not a focal he's, he's point not a at character. all. Character, he's just in it. He's one of the centibytes. He's one centibyte. Yeah, you could take the same way that they remade Evil Dead. It was like new group of kids found the book. Mm-hmm. The end. You know, you could recycle that every. You know, and now we get a good makeup artist and just take that concept and do it again. New group of people, and that is not saying that Hellraiser was bad, but it was marked by the limitations of the production. If you could give it a little bit more, I think it could be done. I also think it could make an unimaginably terrible remake in the wrong hands. That goes without saying from us, anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. But I mean, there's there's a lot here where 
you know, there's a lot of opportunities for really cool creature design and makeup, which means there's a lot of opportunities for rubbery CGI mm. just being thrown at it because it's cheaper. And then you end up with this gaudy, just over-decorative production that's not scary. Yeah. And I think you could make it scary. You could take it back to its roots of body horror. Um, I would actually like to see someone like a um, James Gunn do something mm. with a, with mm-hmm. a Hellraiser. Well, that's what I was going to say. Is I, I really like Hellraiser. I do too. Uh, it, it's I, I, it may be one of the only truly scary movies I've ever seen. Like it actually is is very very frightening to me to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, my I I th- I think the thing that would be difficult about uh, doing a really good remake of that today is part of what's so terrifying about that movie is that it's a lot about S and M sex, mm-hmm. and I think you would have a much harder time making a movie about that today mm-hmm. uh than than you would have when it was made yeah which is I think weird people are, are more familiar with it backwards in terms of mm-hmm. the permissivity of like yeah. the film community it's mm-hmm. bizarre it's really bizarre the and that's orig- <laughs> the original lolita was not banned in this country right. the one in the 90s was which yeah is very bizarre. It, it's so bizarre because because i agree with you dan i think that actually probably the general public is more familiar with what s&m and bondage is now uh and so would have more context for it uh, however, for some reason, Hollywood themselves are like way more reticent to like green light a picture or give it money with, with those kinds of things in it. Well, and I think you, you could run into people who are active in an S&M scene mm. being like, well, there's an inaccuracy here and that. Mm-hmm. But to counter that, I think you could do a lot of things conceptually more. Yeah. Where it's like, you know, we're, we're past the, the, the torture porn thing mm-hmm. and you could do something where there's no limit to what this box can do. Right. So, you know, you have someone, you know, doing something and it's, oh shit, the, the Cenobite has taken the form of their mother or something mm-hmm. like that. Or just, you could twist mm-hmm. those aspects of it. I, I think it could be done. I think it's yeah. a very, very tight rope to walk. Yeah. But I think it, it could be done. It if, needs if a big budget for the effects. Mm-hmm. And, you know, We're the bigger budget, budget movies, they do tra- tend to got a skew four quadrant mainstream. They got a four quadrant. I was going to say mm-hmm. four quadrant. They got a four quadrant as much as they can, mm-hmm. young, old, male, female, for yeah. those at home listening who don't know what that means. <laughs> uh, and yeah, and that is a big thing, you know, that they're, they've kind of, you know, made anodyne versions of so many mm-hmm. movies that are like, why? The thing about Hellraiser is it has to be brutal and it has to be upsetting, but it can't be Saw 6 where it's just yeah. brutal, empty brutality. Yeah. And I, I think it could be done. I agree. I, yeah. uh, and I would be fascinated to see somebody like get that right, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I have a similarly, I think, controversial w- one here. Uh, scanners. Uh, oh, I, would, I would love to see a remake of Scanners. I would love to see a remake of Scanners. I haven't seen Scanners. I'm sorry. I, that's okay. I really, really like Scanners. Scanners is a David Cronenberg movie, uh, and it is... Uh, I Cronenberg, I'm not super familiar with either. Okay. Uh, um, I, I, I would say... Uh, would you say this is an accurate description of, of, uh, of Scanners? It's sort of Three Days at the Condor meets Akira. Yeah, in a way. It's like this weird sort of conspiracy movie that's about a guy who's being followed, essentially. I feel like it has a fair amount of filler yes. because they didn't want to overload you with head explosions. Yes. Uh, that's So a lot of it is this Three Days at the Condor kind of thing where it's a lot of this guy just being followed around a set, if mm-hmm. I remember right. Uh, and But it builds to he part of what happens is he's being chased by a government organization of some kind because he's got some sort of telekinetic, telepathic power, uh, which keeps manifesting itself in these these just bizarre deaths he keeps causing that he doesn't seem to have much control over when he gets stressed but then it builds to this like Akira level battle at the end between him and this other character that you don't realize is also has these powers and they have this like crazy psychic battle at the end 
and it's really cool. That that actually kind of reminds me of something like a dark city. Yeah, where it, it where, where you know it's somewhat normal, and then it leads to just like Bah-! yes, yeah, <laughs> that's totally dark what city it is. is one of my I love dark it's city. Cool. It's one of my so favorites. Good. Yeah, uh, that, that is one of the b- most butchered beginnings. You know where they have the voiceover. Oh that my god, everything. I know. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it tells you the whole story before you even ridiculous. start the movie. Yeah. Yeah. My friend made me watch it. Without the voiceover, yes, so the director's cut is fantastic. Yeah, it, it insults the audience's intelligence yes. to no end to do and that. And it really, the when they pull the rug out from under you to show you what's really happening, it's softened by that narration. Oh, course. yeah, it's so it's much destroyed. It's yeah. ruined. Yeah, by yeah that it's completely ruined. Done, yeah. yeah, and and it's not uh, so crazy that you wouldn't be able to understand. It's all very like straightforward. Right. Like, There's nothing. It's ridiculous. They thought people wouldn't yeah. be able to understand yeah. that. My only problem with that movie is the way. Kiefer Sutherland says <laughs> every line. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're like, oh my god. Yeah. It's exhausting. You just spent a minute taking a ten a ten second sentence. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> but I think that scanners could benefit from a little more money because I think you could get into some of those psychic things a little more. Oh, you yeah. know, the, the telekinetic stuff a little bit more. I would like to see them limit that budget a little bit because I do think that there is something interesting to the three days at the condor aspect of it. The sort of just being followed by shadowy organizations and figures. I like that budget gets too big and it just becomes Akira. It just becomes this like people exploding things with their brains. Uh, but I think it would benefit from a little more money. And and I think you're right. I think there's a lot of wasted time in that movie mm-hmm. and there's a better story to be told you know by cutting the wasted time out. You know right? No. There was Scanners, Scanners 2, Scanners 3, and then there was TV movies called Scanner Cup. Seriously? And I had no yeah, idea there yeah. was more than one Scanners. Yep. Holy shit. Yeah, and, and they're all just unrelated based on the idea of exploding heads. Yeah, yeah. So there is a concept there that people have chosen to run with. Yeah. They kind of chose the wrong concept. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I agree, I agree. I no, think I, there's a Scanners 3. I know there's a Scanners I think too. there could be a really cool uh, cool remake of that. I agree A good 100%. one, yeah. Dave, what do you got? Hit me with one. Uh, my This is mine that is a segment of a movie, but before that is a segment of a Twilight Zone episode, which means it was probably a short story first, and <laughs> it is called It's a Good Life. Um, have you guys seen the Twilight Zone movie? I love it. I have not seen the Twilight Zone movie. All right. Um, th- there's, a, there's an episode of the Twilight Zone called It's a Good Life, and it is one of the scariest episodes, probably the scariest episode of the Twilight Zone for me. Um, and it is about this... This um, little boy who has the the power to sort of make what his brain thinks uh, true, okay, make it, make it real, and uh, he is this terrifying like five year old boy who I may have seen the episode. He isn't uh, like emotionally mature, and basically he has um, he has made the rest of the world aside from the small town that he lives in not exist anymore. Right. This is the only town left on Earth because he's put it all into the field, which is how he kills things. And basically it's called It's a Good Life because he only wants to have positivity around him. So you can never say anything is negative. If mm-hmm. he breaks a cup, you say, I'm really glad that you broke that cup. Mm-hmm. And he goes, yeah, it's good, right? Because he mm-hmm. can't handle any negativity. That's, uh, that and segment scares the shit out of me. Whenever you do something bad, he does something horrible. In the episode, this guy is singing a song and he doesn't like the way he's singing. He's telling him not to, but the guy is drunk and he's sort of rebelling against. They're all pretty much prisoners of this kid. And the kid, he won't stop and he yells at the kid and the kid turns him into uh, a a jack in the box. Yeah. It's a terrible effect, but Mm -hmm. it is a scary idea. Mm -hmm. Um, Body horror. They did. Yes, they did it in the the movie version. It's Joe Dante. And um, they went in a completely different direction where there's a, uh, the little boy like meets this babysitter that he wants to come stay with him in his house, and it's 
he takes her kind of into this cartoon world and all this crazy shit the girl happens. With no mouth. The girl with his little weird. sister, he has removed her mouth. And one mm. of the most iconic things you see her at the first time you see her, you see her watching TV and you can only see her from the nose up because mm. the TV is blocking her. She has these wide eyes. Later on, you see that he's taken her mouth away. Wow. There's a lot of terrifying yeah. stuff in there. He, he, he makes his uncle do a magic trick and pull a bunny out of a hat. But then he doesn't like that, and he makes them pull this like ridiculous, terrifying bunny that's chasing them mm-hmm. around. So they really took it to a sort of a new, you know, with the effects that they had. Yeah. Um, but the story ends really kind of happily, and it it doesn't ring true for me. Yeah. The, the Twilight Zone episode ends terrifyingly. Yeah. This ends with her kind of telling him, "I'll be your teacher your forever." Mommy. And at the end, they're leaving town, and as they're leaving, cartoon flowers are sprouting up around them. <laughs> I want to see this movie. That devolve into the terror yeah, that madness. it should be. Yeah. I think what's so scary about at least the setup of the movie version is doing something just to be nice and then that is your undoing. Yeah. You know, like she was just being nice right. to some random kid and now she is trapped. Yeah. Forever. Like you fucked up. Right. But you didn't. You were just being nice. That yeah. is horrifying and to me. There's such a human thing to having to be positive when things are negative that mm-hmm. we all experience that in our lives and it is um, it is confining, and you know, if you are at work and you don't want people to know that you have a drug problem, and you're being really happy when you're really depressed or whatever, if there's a million different reasons why we hide mm-hmm. the negativity in our lives, and it is always physically deteriorating. So the 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 thing really takes that and personifies it in a little boy who mm-hmm. needs happiness all the time, and he's the kid who plays him in the. TV thing is amazing. He's a great. He's in a couple of Twilight Zones. He's a brilliant little hmm. kid actor, and he's scary. Mm-hmm. Right. I remember that episode. I've definitely seen that. Uh, I remember the Jack in the Box thing. I, re- yeah, I remember so scary. that scaring me. Yeah, yeah. It's creepy. Imagine being a Jack yeah. in the Box. Ooh. Um, my number two is a movie that I very much like, but I think could be updated to a very interesting movie with modern sensibilities. It is The Entity. What is familiar that? with The Entity? It is a, a Ron Silver, Barbara Hershey movie about a woman who claims that she was raped by a ghost. Oh, yes, I do know And this movie. the question is always... Was she, or did something happen to her, and she is creating this supernatural right. story? Um, the movie leans one direction, you know, more towards the supernatural, but I think there's a very interesting, ambiguous story being told there that can end up being a social commentary in some way. That you would know, be super what is relevant she, right now. What is she hiding? Yeah. Um, what really did happen, you know, is... is is there some attacker out mm-hmm. there that that has caused her to believe this, or is she, you know, just a, afraid to admit to what happened, or flip flop it? You know, is is she just saying this happened? And there's so many angles to, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, you look at Bill Cosby in the news. There were so many angles that people tried to approach that at before it was just like, no, this fucking happened. Yeah. Um. But horror has always. Turned itself into a morality play mm-hmm. in in a lot of ways, and I think that this could be extrapolated to do that. Um, it's murky. It could be very very uh, upsetting in a certain way, but it's a really good movie as it is. But I think in a modern sensibility with the modern conversation, you could, for lack of a better term, have a lot of fun with it and explore something bluntly without exploring it explicitly to the point where you're being didn't. didactic. And uh, it could be awesome and relevant. How old of a movie is it? 
I would say it's from the early 80s. It has, <laughs> it's, right, right, right. it's got Ron Silver. I would uh, like maybe see it where the entity of the ghost is Bill Cosby. I, think <laughs> that's right. I am the ghost that was me the whole time. He's I ghost dad. Yeah, I was going to say they made that movie. I'm it's ghost, ghost dad. dad. <laughs> also, I'm Leonard Six. There was a... Uh, uh, on Jimmy Kimmel the other night, he made a reference to The Force Awakens, and he said, well, The Force was just recently drinking with Bill Cosby. That's <laughs> amazing. <laughs> great, great tag. But I think that, you know, with that conversation and all of that, you could you could really do some interesting yeah. things with the entity and just explore many angles of a touchy subject that you may not be able to attack, attack directly. But you can put, throw a supernatural element in it or a potential supernatural element in it and open up a conversation... Uh, more cleanly, just in a way that that at the end of the day you could take away like, oh, what a scary movie! But then we could pull it apart like we do with Mad Max and go, no, there's something bigger here mm-hmm. and more important. That's cool. Yeah, that the would entity, be... and it's a it's a very good movie as it is, but it just could be updated. Yeah, well, that's my my final one is uh, for me the most controversial one because I just love I I love this movie. It's it's one of my favorite movies. I didn't want to put it on my list for that reason, but as I really really thought about it, I was like maybe that's a reason to put it on because I think there is. So it's a uh, it's Dead Alive, uh, mm, yeah. which is known as Brain Dead in the Peter, United States. Peter, uh, Peter Jackson, Jackson yeah. which I saw was really funny. I it's I don't usually love those kind of movies, yeah. but it was so off the wall. Yes. I really enjoyed it. Party's over. Yeah. And that's the thing. So I this so I think that so I wasn't crazy about the Evil Dead remake that mm. came out a couple years ago. I think the last like twenty minutes of that movie are incredible, but uh, everything leading up to it, I wasn't crazy about. It felt like it the, that movie it took a weird modern tone to something where I was like, oh no, I I want you to remain campy with this, yeah, yeah, yeah. and and they they sort of decidedly was straight away from the campiness of mm. of Evil Dead. I think if you're going to do a Dead Alive remake, you have to keep it super campy. But in the campiness of Dead Alive is a lot of like strange plotting, weird character choices, things that like don't really make sense on a storytelling level. I think you could tell a better story and make those characters characters we care about a little more. But yeah, maintain, it's a movie. yeah. It's yeah, yeah. But I think you could maintain the silliness. I, say, of I wonder it. if that is the value of the original movie, though. Is the I wonder that too. Just it too, set you know? pieces. It is yes. nothing it's beyond just Peter Jackson pieces. showing off yep. how good he yeah. is with miniatures. I know. I wonder that but too. It, I mean, you're making a strong case that it could be done. I was I mean, going to say there I is think a story there. It, it's a family dinner. Yes, there's some yeah. fun to be had. Exactly. I think there's something you could do there. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it'd be successful. But if we're talking about what should you remake, give that a shot. I think yeah. there's something you could do where you could actually. I line that up with with something like a Hellraiser. Yeah, like yep. where in the right hands it could be transcendent. Yeah. Yep. It could also crumble horribly. Totally. A hundred percent. But I would be curious to see it, uh, and I'd be curious to see again. I want. I, I would want it to maintain the campiness and the silliness. A modern budget might actually make that finale that much crazier and more fun. Again, you, in you the know right who hands. You should direct it? Peter Jackson. Yeah, that's true. Peter Jackson with all he's learned now. Yeah, yeah. that's true. <laughs> I've never heard anybody say that. I love yeah. that. Yeah. Somebody should go back and redirect the remake. Oh, that would be great. Uh, yeah. uh, Michael Haneke, one of my favorite filmmakers, did Funny Games. And he did it shot for shot and just made it English language. But I got to say, both of those movies are valuable. I, it's awesome. Mm-hmm. That is a crazy movie. It is crazy. I hate yeah. it, but I think it's, I respect yeah. it. Yeah, I know I'm supposed to. It gives it I, to you, and then it takes it away. Yeah. And then you go, ah, why did I want that? Yeah. Why do I want this? Have you well, ever seen The Vanishing? Yes. Oh. Which is, I loved it until I found out what, you know, the real movie's ending 
is the bleak, bleak ending, and then mm. our, the Ameri- it's the American version. They like have this happy ending that it couldn't possibly be, and it doesn't even make sense when you mm-hmm. think about it. But it was they were both directed by the same guy. So this guy like directed a Mona Lisa like in the Swedish version, and then put a mustache on it. In American, I thought that's amazing. You put a mustache on it and a Kiefer Sutherland in it. Yeah, <laughs> like I thought that like it was, so, and then now I understand what because it the it was the first movie I'd ever seen. I was like thirteen or fourteen where they introduced the hero and the girl, and she she disappears, and then the next scene is about the bad guy, uh-huh. and it was about him, and they treat him as a character. He's never like a scowling. Say if villain. you haven't seen it, don't say too much. I won't say anything. Yeah. Else. It's a, it's but they really they just cool kind of go into like, oh, here's the the bad guy yeah. doing things with with his daughter and stuff yeah. and I'm like wow crazy and it's amazing and if you can see the the farm I, I, I film, which I haven't that seen one out. yeah I think there's a criterion it. of it yeah, yeah I would I love to watch that, that out Dave final movie. I think Dead Alive's a I, I'm just thinking about that it's yeah. a very interesting choice I'm glad That's, you picked yeah, that yeah yeah it's it's just something I'd be interested to see my final choice is because almost breaks the rule I know there wasn't a specific rule but it has recently been remade but I was uh, extremely, extremely unhappy with the remake, and I would like to see a, a really good remake of A Nightmare on Elm Street. Oh, oh, I would yeah. original yeah. A Nightmare on yes. Elm Street. Yeah. I thought uh, that remake was shit. I, I think the first Nightmare on Elm Street is. I just saw that for the first time recently, by the, the way. First and one, loved it. Yeah, the loved first it. Nightmare on Elm Street for the for the first uh, three quarters of it is one of the most terrifying things I've ever seen. In my life, it haunts my dreams. Freddy is my actual boogeyman in life. I'm still scared uh-huh. of him. I'm 36. That's the brilliance um, of it is that horror movies give you nightmares, and he made a horror movie where nightmares where kill. Nightmare. I mean, yeah. the, what, the 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 you know, for me when he I was a kid, created. you know, being on my bed with the blanket up to my chin and my head up against the headboard, there was no way to get behind me. Was the only way I felt safe. And mm-hmm. seeing Johnny Depp pulled into the bed and the mm-hmm. blood spurred out like ruined my life like i haven't mm-hmm. felt safe since mm-hmm. and it's it's a brilliant movie although that movie is flawed by its last third when he comes out of the dream and all of a sudden it becomes home alone where it's like mm-hmm. here's yeah, a sledgehammer yeah, yeah. hitting you in the belly i'm like what are you doing you you're killing what? this I great movie that about oh it. me too but it like ruins i mean it is terrifying until it's then. a tonal shift yeah it is tonal yeah. Yeah. and it's terrifying until then and then it. it's still scary but it's like they, the violence is too cartoonish. It needed to be yeah. more gory, like what had come before it. Tina rolling on the ceiling, getting oh, cut yeah. to shreds. Yeah. How do you go from that to you know, like it, it, they literally do a lot of like Home Alone stuff, oh, yeah. like yeah. the yeah. sledgehammer hitting him yeah. in the belly. And he's like zoink, yeah, like, yeah. like what? So don't do that. He has a Give human. me like the the remake only did one thing I thought was clever, and then it reversed it, which was they have you this whole plot about how Freddy wasn't. A child murderer, and he had been. They picked Falsely the wrong guy, accused. and I'm like, wow, that's a really cool origin story. That he he has become this thing because he didn't do anything, and then it turns out Freddy was just tricking all the kids in the dream. To what fucking end? To what end yeah. is he tricking yeah, these kids yeah, yeah. into thinking I didn't really do it? Why he's just gonna kill them anyway? Like it was yeah. this huge it's not like they're spinning gonna pull wheel like, sub, subplot. Yeah, yeah. yeah, what? I just want them to like me. I just I want them to like me. Remake. It I was, really hated it. Did it did nothing right, and I, that was the one thing where I was like, oh, that's really cool. He wasn't a bad guy, and now he's become. Evil yeah. because he's so mad that he was innocently killed, but it was just a trick. I almost like that better than him just yes, being yeah. too. But so once they they reveal that they the, the the plot of the movie is the two kids playing fucking the Hardy Boys trying to like <laughs> you know get Freddie exonerated, and then finding out oh he was just fucking with us. I'm like that is the dumbest plot ever, yeah. and then it just ends the same way. So that's that's the one I want to see. I want to see it done. You know, like somebody who amazing that Freddie character can be a fucking terrifying thing. I hate how it got. Uh, so cartoony. Funny. I, yeah. I like one, three, and six, which I like just the ones 
the Craven did, and just the ones with Heather Langenkamp. I think yep, I just yep. might just like mm-hmm. her, but the rest of them are. And I believe terrifying. three had that awesome Dokken soundtrack. What? Really? And Th- I believe five has the. Um, oh fuck! What are their a Goo Goo Dolls soundtrack? Really? Before they turned into the Goo Goo Dolls, ah. we all know they were yeah, like they a were like a punk band. rock band. In, Before in Buffalo, they pulled their yeah. Sugar Ray, mm-hmm. three has Buffalo. that terrifying scene where Freddie turns a kid into puppets with his veins. Oh, that yes. sounds awesome. That so third awesome. one is. I really want to see that one. No, I've not. The, Dream I, Warriors. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to watch the, the whole series. It might be the best one end to end. I believe three also has a character who creates a dream persona of himself that is remarkably Harry Potterish. Yes. Mm. And he, he's a he wizard with glasses and, he, yeah. and a it's yeah. wild. The third one is about these kids in a in a psych ward and and basically their therapist gives them the idea that in your dreams if you if somebody's attacking you, you can make yourself as strong as you want. Yeah. So they all develop powers. Yeah. And the the kid is in a wheelchair but they go to like war with power. him. Right? Yeah, they go to war yeah. with him and it's very it's, it's called cool. the Dream Warriors. It's also yeah. got Ooh. Patricia Arquette uh, mm-hmm. Young. She's awesome. the main character mm-hmm. of it. And it's written by Frank Darabont. Oh, like he's one yeah. of the writers of it. Awesome. It's got a really cool... The, the way they twist the thing of like being in the home. The opening Wait, scene is, is her. Is that Larry Fishburne one, too? He's in one of them. Lawrence Fishburne shows think... up as Larry Fishburne. No, I don't think so. Uh-huh. But the like opening scene is her looking in the mirror, and she's trying to wash her hands, and Freddie's in the mirror mm-hmm. like through the steam. And the little the hand of the faucet becomes the claws mm. and slits her wrists. And it's you Whoa, know the movie's about yeah. like you know people committing suicide yeah. and stuff. And they they really like twist that in a way that like is really interesting. It's oh, yeah, that the one's a good strings, one. Strings, I believe he's walked out the window. So he he like literally he jumps, jumps off yeah. the roof. Oh, he wow. walk, he he comes in in the night and slits him like this and pulls his veins up, walks him, and nobody sees him. And you like you see him walking. Oh, and you see the giant Freddy above the building? Yeah, you see so Freddy above the building with his hands, and he slits it, and he jumps off the building. Shit, that's but awesome. The sound effect is of a heart beating, yeah. and you literally see his veins in the air with all these <sighs> bits of sinew hanging off it. It's terrifying. Sinew, great word. Did Craven make that Thank one, you. too? Craven did one and three, and New Nightmare, which is also pretty good. And that's three? it. I'm pretty sure. I love New Nightmare. I know he probably had his hands on three without a doubt. I'm not sure if he. Uh, let's see. I could be wrong. When you were if saying, if he didn't, uh, somebody good did. Somebody good did. Um, oh, here we go. Nightmare on Elm Street three was Chuck Russell, but Wes Craven. Uh, he he was a a story credit. So mm. and oh, and a screenplay credit. So what he did actually, Chuck Russell? Do? But was the screenplay credit characters? Because he's got that on all of them. Um, he has story characters and screenplay. Okay, so, so at least that's part of why. So so he was part of that one. Yeah. Uh, what did Chuck Russell, Russell do? Because yeah, that was scary, man. Scorpion um, King, Eraser. <laughs> The Mask remake of the Blob. So nothing oh, good. Oh, the eighties. Oh, the the Blob is great. The eighties remake the 80s of the Blob. blob I mean, yeah, that's. F- I loved that. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's funny that you were saying about how the bed thing ruined you. When I was a kid and I saw Ghostbusters and the hands came out and grabbed mm. Sigourney Weaver in the chair, I didn't sit in chairs for like six months. And then midway through that six months, I saw tremors. So I was afraid to stand up on the ground. <laughs> so for like a large portion of my life, I, I was just standing around <laughs> waiting for fear to subside. That's amazing. That brutal. Um, my number one uh, is called The Brain That Wouldn't Die. Um, it is a very old movie, I believe, from the 50s. I've heard of and it. And the plot is, it. and it's super interesting, a scientist gets in an accident that beheads his girlfriend. He has a way to keep her head alive. But she wants to die. Mm. But he wants to keep her alive. So she, uh, now that she's just a head, she develops this telepathic power that she uses to control this monster 
that uh, will that she's trying to use to kill the scientist, so that she can die. So that she can That's die. Interesting plot. Um, the because character who wants he to also die. wants to get this uh, young, sexy lady that he can kill and put his girl's head on her body. Of course. So you can see how this can be played into so yeah. many different mm-hmm. things. You know, there is male possession. There is right to die arguments. Mm-hmm. There is science shoulda coulda. You know, there's a patent house. Well, we're all about coulda. We're all about coulda, not shoulda. Um, <laughs> and also, it's a great movie about a head in a pan. Controlling a monster, but it's in the fifties, so I think yeah. that you could update it much in the same way that the thing of the fly. I also think it could be very funny. I was thinking about it. Amy Schumer's head in a jar would be very, very, <laughs> very, very funny, and it could also. I mean, if you saw um, a train a train wreck, she's a very tremendously talented actress. Mm-hmm. I didn't um, see it yet. Does a very good job. I think that she could play a, uh, a or fuck it, even a Sarah Silverman head in a jar. You know, being funny, being snarky, wanting to die, and then discovering it can control this monster to kill some Who you know possessive dude. Um, I if I if I remember correctly, it is just one of his failed experiments that she makes sentient with her power. It's been a while since I've seen it. it. It's really out there, but it could be updated, and I think it could be played into a relevant horror comedy. That has elements of body horror, that has a creature, that has a, a social conscience to it, and it would be a really cool showcase for good acting. The brain that wouldn't that die. Good. I like that concept a lot. That's yeah, a cool it's a concept. rich, surreal concept. Yeah. That would be, it would probably be hard to do it now without comedy. Yes. Yeah, I mean, but I think, yeah. And that's why I think someone like an Amy Schumer, because you could have her attacking the... the you know, the the gender politics of it, as well as just the politics politics right. of it, in a mm-hmm. right to die kind of thing, as well as it could be really funny to have snarky repartee between oh, yeah. a scientist who really wants to save this girl, but would also like to upgrade her body a little bit, mm-hmm. and her just being like, "I'm a head in a jar, fucking let me die." You know, yeah. there's humor there. Yeah, I, I think it would be a wonderful movie to remake. I like that. That's that's cool. That's uh, that might be my favorite choice of everybody's list. Oh, cool. Somebody can so combine all fifteen of these into one movie. <laughs> yeah, oh, now that would I'm be on amazing. Board. That's uh, listen. That's that's where everything is building now. Is just these crazy interconnected universes. The brain that wouldn't die versus Hellraiser versus the Raft versus uh, a, a life. What was the? It's a good life. It's a good life yeah. versus uh, <laughs> versus <laughs> Vampire Hunter D. Yeah. <laughs> all versus versus. Yeah. You got it. You got to have those verses. Oh, and by the way, I, I dug up Freddy versus Jason versus Ash. So next time we're oh, around, I, read that. Yes, I will please. provide you with that, that comic book. I would like to read it. What, yep. How much time have we gone here? We are ready to close. Yeah. We what are ready to close. It is currently 1140 Oops. in the evening. So how much, but how much time have we done? We've yeah. done, we're about, we just clocked two hours, my friend. Oh, okay. that's, that's not bad. No, pretty good. Pretty good. Uh, we're going to cut this down to like 15 minutes. Right? Yeah, yeah. That's a, that's a uh, and it's mostly going to be Dan and I. Uh, yeah, that's fine. Yeah, that is fine. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. I say we get rid of the recommendations portion. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because there was a lot in our list. Yes, that's fine. Uh, just have a, like us just naming them. I would go with this, and then it just cuts to something else. Yeah. No yeah. explanation. Uh, let's just let's just go around the horn for plugs and, and get out of here. How does yep, that yep, sound? Yep, yep. Uh, so you can find me on Twitter at Philadelphia. That's with an F. Uh, you can find our show on Twitter at I Like Two Movie. That's the number two. Facebook.com slash I Like Two Movie. That's the number two. Uh, look us up on iTunes. Please rate us, give us a review, uh, and tell us you, you love us. Actually, we would love for you to tell us movies you want us to watch and review here. Uh, we'd love to get your uh, list, top five horror films you think should be remade. And also uh, list ideas. Yeah. Just be verbal. Contact yeah. us. Anything. We will, uh, we 
uh, ideas for segments, we, we want to talk about it. Um, and uh, I run a weekly open mic in Philadelphia called um, uh, We Do on Tuesdays at Medusa Lounge. Come check it out. Uh, oh, and uh, hey, December 16th, come see Movie Movie Live, Star Wars edition at Philomoca. It's going to be uh, incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at Dan Scully. I am on every format of anything as Dan Scully. I have the I have the lock on that username, so Twitter and Facebook and uh, on the Letterboxd and the Flick Chart and all of that. And log on to Cinadelphia.com. Um, a lot of reviews are pending right now. It's been a very busy couple of weeks, as well as some coverage of the Philadelphia Film Festival, which is currently going on. So uh, definitely check that out, um, Cinadelphia.com. Come. Yeah, look um, up my letterbox to Philadelphia. You can find me at DaveTeruso.com, D-A-V-E-T-E-R-R-U-S-O.com for a bunch of old blog stuff that I've done. and uh, Really funny blog stuff, by the way, too. Thank you. Yeah, uh, it's worth checking out. And a lot of video. You could probably spend a day or two on there with the content. It's it's stuff I've done over the past decades. You've got a lot of animosity Pierre up there, thing. right? Yeah. All of my old sketch comedy mm-hmm. stuff is up there. Our cartoons, our mm-hmm. puppet show things, everything we did, our live videos, our, our short films, all of that is up there. And uh, my book's on Amazon, and uh, that's it. Yeah, and they're they're worth reading. Uh, at least Thank the you. one I read 50 pages of is. <laughs> Uh, all right, I think that'll do it for us. We we get out of here the same way every week. You're gonna figure this out along with us, Dave. Uh, this is how we sign off. My name is Garrett Smith, and I, wait, that's not how it goes at all, is it? Does it start with my name or with? Yeah, it does. Yeah, it starts it with my name. I don't know how I just time. forgot. This is the fifty fifth time I've done it's, this, it's and been I just a couple forgot. Weeks since our last episode, uh, my name is Garrett Smith, and I like to movie movie. My name is Dan Scully, and I like to movie movie. My name is Dave Teruso, and I like to movie movie. And we all know that you like to movie movie because we like to movie 